Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663, international 704-875-8010, or online at thepowerherbs.com. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. Here on Herb Talk, we like to empower you, so that's what we're going to do. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. we got a great show, Magical Engineer and I, Frank. Frank, the Magical Engineer. We are going to be talking about some eugenics. Mm-hmm. Yep, and also we're going to be talking about some things like what sulfur is good for your body and uh, maybe some acidosis. we got some stuff to talk about. And we do have a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, Big Salute and Semper Fide are righteous men and women in uniform. As you know, if you've been tuning in, I lift them up in prayer. I'm lifting all of America up in prayer. Oh, we need divine help and guidance and, you know, guide our feet along the path that we should go as a nation. Not just individually, but collectively as a nation. So I hope you're hitting the knees and seeking the Lord's face and asking for that. And I did bring my devotional. So today is from Psalms 34, Psalms 105, and 2 Corinthians 1, and it goes like this. Look to me continually for help, comfort, and companionship, because I am always by your side. The briefest glance 
can connect you with me. When you look to me for help, it flows freely from my presence. This recognition of your need for me in small matters as well as large ones keeps you spiritually alive. And when you need comfort, I love to enfold you in my arms. I enable you not only to feel comforted, but also to be, uh, feel the channel through I am comfort for you and others around you. Thus, you are doubly blessed because a living channel absorbs some of the whatever flows through you and blesses others. And my constant companionship is the peace to resistance, the summit of salvation and blessings. And no matter what loses you experience in your life, no one can take away this glorious gift. Ah, you know, it's a good thing when you have somebody on your side who's powerful, who's family, you know, he's friend. Well, you don't, you don't have close friends if you don't talk to him every day. So I hope you're seeking the Lord's face, find salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the way. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. All right, thanks, Frank. First up in the quacker, something weird went on at Coos Bay, Oregon, at the ER hospital there, emergency room. Uh, the whole hospital emergency room was quarantined after some people started hallucinating. You know, when I read that 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 byline, I thought, whoa, something in the air ducts or something. You know, no. Um, this uh, quarantine happened when a 78-year-old patient and her caregiver arrived with two sheriffs. Apparently, she was at home. She was hallucinating at home. And she called and said somebody's vandalizing her car. The cops show up. Nobody's there. Um, so they kind of figured it out. The caregiver and the cops figured it out. They haul her down to the emergency room. And then they start hallucinating, the caregiver and the sheriff. So authorities haven't pinpointed what caused this mysterious episode. But they said it had to be direct contact of some kind. That's just really weird. All right, moving along in the crack report. Um, police have marijuana breathalyzers or soon will be rolling them out coast to coast. Um, uh, across the country, you're going to see that um, they're going to be operating in their vehicle what is an THC breathalyzer, a device that can measure the cannabis in your breath. Um, Hounds Labs out of Oakland, California, along with the University of California in their chemistry department have come up with this device that can detect THC on a person's breath. So the company plans to distribute them, obviously, to your police departments coast to coast. And uh, so just FYI. Uh, last but not least in the quack report, um, microwaves, Wi-Fi, EMF signals, uh, in the news again, smart devices makes, apparently makes life convenient, right? Cell phones, microwaves, uh, routers, all that stuff, all these, uh, and all these things in consumer products. Uh, but uh, smart meters, systematically, apparently, according to this new research, destroys human health. Migraine, headaches, chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety are among the common complaints and they are increasing, and they are linked to these new technologies. So this research study that uh, came out in the Journal of Electromagnetic Frequencies, they say that these EMF frequencies 
Oh, I'm sorry. The journal was Electronic Physician. Pardon me. So, but these frequencies, they say, depolarize the membranes of our tissues, that, especially the membranes that tend to protect nerves and muscles and can damage cells and oxidize and give us more free radicals. So the study that was in the Electronic Physician Journal breaks it down this way, that EMFs massively disrupt human physiological balance in multiple ways. Both thermal and non-thermal EMFs are harmful, according to the study. The EMFs directly alter the behavior of cells and tissues, in effect damaging cardiovascular systems, bone marrow, DNA, blood, and reproductive system and more. Of course, they said endocrine systems also affected and hormone manufacturing is disrupted. Wow. I got to check that technology out. And that wraps the quack report. Thanks, Frank. Okay. Um going to be talking about the science of eugenics, uh, but before we get into all that stuff, I want to make an announcement. Um, the folks at Apothecary Herbs, um, they're hoping to launch their new website this week, probably towards the end of the week. Uh, they're double-checking, uh, making sure everything works. Systems are a go. And um, new catalog may be here the 1st of November, so uh, there's, there's going to be a little snag at the printer right here. So it's going to be um, an extra five days. Is that what it is? Yeah. So maybe roll it into no first part of November for the new catalog. So we'll keep you apprised of that. Of course, uh, eventually there will also be a download of the new catalog off the website at thepowerherbs.com. I'm excited about the new site. It is really awesome. Uh, I hope you guys give us feedback, too, on that. All right. We're going to talk about eugenics. You know, there's research underway within genetics, you know, to find out if, you know, human with super benefits can be created. We've touched on this recently, but here's some new information. Um, Professor George uh, Church, a, a genealogist or geneticist, I should say, at Harvard Medical School, he's been working on the Human Genome Project since 1990, and uh, Professor Church states that he has identified 10 human genes that effectively give humans extraordinary abilities if they are born with them. Okay, so I kind of get the inclination that they want to take these genes and give them to people. (laughs) Well, science wants to create humans on a different level, making certain people superior. Now, it has been suggested that genetic engineering of this caliber is, you know what they're going to call it? They're going to call it personalized medicine. Hmm. So, by the way, Professor Church, he was one of those uh, geneticists that in 2008 sequenced a portion of the woolly mammoth geome that they recovered uh, from DNA, a DNA sample, and he wants to resurrect the species using an Asian elephant. Yeah, let's impregnate the Asian elephant with a woolly mammoth, uh, uh, something or other, and uh, voila. Well, science is really calling all that when they want to bring back an extinct, well, they're calling it de-extinction is basically what they're doing. So Asian scientists are, well, they're already cloning animals 
um, and charging $100,000 if pet owners want to clone their pets, you know? So um, what could come next? Well, designer babies most likely because uh, it's going to be given a green light. You know it is under the argument that designer babies, babies will deter birth defects and diseases like cancer and dementia. So, you know, we're going to clear we're going to clear the slate on these genetically born diseases, uh, and you're welcome. That's what they're going to say. So from there, it's not a real big step to take DNA from deceased individuals and clone them, as DNA really can survive indefinitely if the conditions are right. For instance, uh, if permission were to be given, scientists may well clone, you know, John Wayne or Marilyn Monroe. Think about it. Now, where all this will lead is uncertain, and is it worth the risk to experiment with genetic engineering? Well, we're going to take a look. All right, let's uh, look at these 10 genes. Professor Church says uh, there's these 10 genetic benefits that could be given uh, to people on purpose in the future, uh, you know, in other words, designer babies with these benefits. So what are these 10 genes that humans um, can be born with that offer extreme benefits? Well, here they are. A gene which would make human bones so hard and durable that it would break surgical drills. Huh. Or a gene that makes humans resistant to heart disease. A gene that makes humans resistant to Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. A gene that makes humans resistant to HIV. A gene that makes humans resistant to malaria. And a gene that makes humans resistant to type 1 diabetes. A gene that makes humans resistant to some viruses. And a gene that makes humans resistant to cystic fibrosis. And a gene that makes humans resistant to ovarian cancer and a gene that reverses infertility. Hmm. Well, you know, that's a lot of editing of genes right there, you know. Uh, and you may, you may have to state one day, you know, in the future, some of these kids might have to say, well, I've been edited. Uh, not on paper, but genetically. Uh, the development of the CRISPR tool we mentioned previously which allows scientists to alter genes by editing out the genes they don't want and developing ways to add the genes they do want to alter the gene pool is becoming reality. So what was first referred to as a research tool, the CRISPR, is now becoming a remodeling tool. Now transitioning the human gene pool is what science is doing. Although the scientists such as Church, you know, does not like to use terms like transhumanism or designer babies because he says, you know, that just confuses people. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, a company called eGenesis will head up the technology and, and study uh, with the CRISPR. They're going to edit sperm and eggs in the lab, and they're going to practice on animals at first. However, you know, the real money that will be uh, coming from this remodeling tool, the CRISPR, uh, you know, what it can do for man, not animals. That's where the real money is going to be. So you want to check out this statement from Professor Church and check how he tries to make the individual's choice that will not affect future generations 
the same as a genetic alteration that would affect future generations. Here is what he says. Now, Professor Church is a uh, genesis at the Harvard Medical School. And he says, eugenics in the USA from 1907 to 1981 involved a government sterilization of 65,000 individuals to, quote, improve the gene pool. Uh-huh. He goes on to say the new technology enables parents to make choices about their children just as if they might with Ritalin or a cleft palate surgery to improve behavior or appearance, end of quote. Professor, it's not the same. Putting your kid temporarily on a medication or having um, a cleft palate repaired does not affect generations down the road genetically. All right, let me read you this quote by Dr. James Rollins. He's an author and a, veg- and a, a veterinarian. He says this, Research today has become more about seeing if something can be done versus judging if it should be done. It's knowledge for the sake of knowledge, regardless of the impact on the world. Yeah. I think he's got that down. Yeah. Also, uh, Rudolf Barango, he's a microbiologist, he says this, from the moment that manipulating genes became possible, many people, including some of those involved in the experiments, were horrified by the idea of scientists in a lab rearranging the basic elements of life, end of quote. Yeah, it's kind of scary. And then uh, Jennifer Dudna, she's a biochemist, she says this, What if somebody such as Adolf Hitler or someone very powerful and wealthy had access to this technology? We can only imagine the kind of horrible uses this research would be used for. End of quote. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and then we get to this um, type of editing they are doing with genes. They call it germline. Have you heard about this one? I hadn't heard about this one until recently. But um, there is a difference between people wanting to artificially enhance themselves with chips and, you know, taking sperm and ova from eggs and introducing non-human elements or artificial genetic enhancements that will continue in the population for generations. This is called germline editing. So the risk that there is um, a sole scientist or even a group of scientists willing to cross this ethical line in secret, which, you know, could have significant ripple effects throughout humanity, is possible. Actually, I kind of believe it's already happened, but the public's just not been made aware of it yet. All right, and Dr. James Rollins goes on to say this. He says, human nature can be scary, and human wisdom is not complete. We may make choices that are not wise and affect generations of people. Building superhumans falls into that category. There's a cost to everything. End of quote. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that, Dr. Rollins. I believe you're on spot on with that. Um, so let's let's just do some what ifs for a minute here. Because uh, scientists are experimenters. That's what they do. And what if they want to experiment with the genetic mechanism, if there is one, that alters longevity? 
you know, or when we die? What if they tap into that and they control that? Can you imagine someone like Adolf Hitler to have a CRISPR procedure to lengthen his lifespan to, I don't know, what, a thousand years? God forbid, right? And you, do you suppose if given enough time with unrestricted use, would science attempt to claim that they can deliver immortality? I know that's kind of going way out there. But there is really no limit to their imagination. And if it has a profit potential, you know it won't be long before it's done, either legally or illegally. Now, skeptics would say, this won't happen. But then there are too many scientists sounding the alarm about their fellow scientists disregarding ethics and leveraging unethical use of their research into medical and social issues. So I think that if we are not careful, humanity, as we know it, will pay the ultimate price, extinction. We'll just, you know, edit ourselves right off the, the map. All right, so our future is important. we got to protect our future. And uh, we currently have choices, and some choices are dwindling. So it's up to us to secure our healthy future and be careful to investigate all treatments. So self-sufficiency and staying healthy is going to be our safety net. And the better we are at it, the better our chances of surviving a very scientific, unethical future. So learn all you can about the natural medicine that God has provided for you and stand up for your rights to have it. So Apothecary Herbs, they've been providing certified organic whole food herbal products for over 16 years. So cleanse away toxins and refortify with some nutrition. You know, that's a big step to living healthier lives right there. Rebuilding a weak immune system is also their specialty, and they offer a full line of herbal formulas to, you know, sure up your natural immune system defense. So give the folks at Apothecary Herbs a call, and you can order now. The number is 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. Now, if you're outside the U.S., dial 704 885 0277. That's 704-885-0277. Or you can visit them on the website at thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. Um, and also ask for a free product catalog. They have one there. And if you're on their website, don't forget they have some money-saving coupons on their website there. But if you don't do the Internet, you can also ask about the coupons if you call in. And, uh, and sign up. Sign up for the free newsletters. They are available, and they're right there on the web under books and newsletters. So sign up there. Um, if you want to learn more, get your feet wet with the herbs, the Power Herbs books. There's two. It's uh, $14.99, so it's the download book, so you can get it right away. Don't have to wait for it to be mailed. It's right there. So thepowerherbs.com. If you're serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs. Simple, simple. And, you know, health shouldn't be complicated. It really shouldn't. We tend to make it that way. All right. Going to be talking about, we had a few minutes before we have to take a little break. So we're going to be talking about um, sulfur, how you can heal your body with sulfur. And I'm not talking about sulfur antibiotics or anything like that. So if there was a nutrient that you could take 
to help your body heal more quickly, would you use it? Uh, what if this nutrient was one of the basic elements already found in your body, about 1% of your body mass? Mm -hmm. So how can a nutrient with a low body mass signature help you heal faster? Well, this is a basic health question that a lot of people have forgotten. So if oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus are the six all-star elements making up 99% of your body mass, what health benefits could possibly, you could possibly get from the one percenter, sulfur? Well, we're going to check it out. All right, so um, the mystery uh, is that, you know, sulfur, one of the reasons it's so valuable to your body is it helps you heal faster, moves toxins out of the body fast. And there's a lot of uh, medicinal herbs that have that sulfur compound built into them. So sulfur, what it does is it binds to antioxidants like um, glutathione to make the antioxidant more efficient. So in 1992, in the Animals, Animals of Pharma, um, Pharmacotherapy, this journal reported that sulfur helps protect us from radiation and ultraviolet rays, X-rays, and amphetamines. Mm. Now, I would think that it would also help you protect you from various forms of radiation, including tanning beds and EMFs, you know, the, the smart meters and stuff like that. Absolutely. Get some sulfur going. Now, another benefit that we can gain from having some organic sulfur is it protects us against heavy metals like aluminum. It, it will bind to the aluminum and remove it from your system. So scientific research has seen a correlation between aluminum and the rising condition of like Alzheimer's disease and cognitive issues, especially in children, young adults, you know, kids with ADD, ADHD, uh, autism, and that kind of thing. And also the sulfur is excellent for the cardiovascular system as well. According to um, a Q-Cell Disorders journal of January 2016, uh, they stated sulfur has an important role to play in protecting you from heart disease. Dr. Stephanie Snedvith uh, of MIT, she reports that having a shortage of sulfur in your body produces a molecule called cholesterol sulfate. And without sulfur, this molecule in the blood fluctuates, creating an unstable environment, she says, that can invite heart disease, things like AFib, uh, cholesterol plaque, and stuff like that. So sulfur, real important, real important. It's also important for your skin. Um, you know, you see all these commercials for, you know, all these skin treatments, um, also things that treat acne, inflammatory skin conditions, dermatitis, rosacea. Well, none of those drugs do you any good if you don't have uh, enough sulfur. Yep, you gotta have a balance of sulfur in order for that to even help you. Whew. And I got more, but uh, we gotta take a little break and we're gonna, we're gonna take a break and come back uh, with more health news on the sulfur because it's real basic and easy to do. And that's what I like about stuff like that. It empowers you because it's not complicated. We'll be right back.
life into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Trust anyone wearing a mask. Robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Our prescription for good health, Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson. No insurance card required. If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com.
Frank. We're back. Hmm, thanks. Getting retro. <laughs> All right, we were talking about sulfur, how easy it is to help the body with sulfur. Um, if you have trouble with weight, um, 2011, the Weston Price Foundation was looking at the possibility that if you have a lack of sulfur, it could be pushing up your weight gain and into the obesity rate area. They reported that in Greece, Italy, and Japan, they don't have heart disease and obesity problems like the U.S. Plus, their population seems to be living longer. And they found an interesting correlation that on the west coast of the U.S. and in Hawaii and Oregon, they have more volcanic activity and more sulfur. And they also have the lowest rates of obesity in the entire United States. So the highest rates for obesity in the U.S. were in the regions with the lowest sulfur, the Midwest, where agriculture is the prime business and low sulfur is you know, overworked soil. And highly processed foods are essentially sulfur deficient. Um, as uh, Dr. Semif at MIT says this, a diet high in grains like bread and cereal is likely to be deficient in sulfur. Increasingly, whole foods like corn and soybeans have been disassembled into component parts with chemical names and then reassembled into heavily processed foods. Sulfur is lost along the way, and so is the awareness that this loss matters. Well, yeah. It's the simple basic things that have gotten us into a problem here health-wise. Now, we have plenty of food sources that contain organic sulfur, like cabbage and broccoli and leafy green vegetables, collard greens, kale, grass-fed meats, nuts, salmon, wheat germ, and eggs. So these foods contain sulfur the body uses for healing in the form of glucosinolates, if I spell that right. So research suggests that if we harvest our foods from the family garden and not cook them, not overcook them, uh, that we can recover some of these lost sulfur components. Uh, so it, we want to avoid the formation of um, uh, rosaceous enzymes, and we diminish them and the nutrition if we overcook everything. So try not to do that. And, of course, researchers at MIT have been studying the significance of sulfur and warns us to avoid water softening systems because there is a higher incidence of heart disease compared to drinking water with more sulfur, like hard water would have more sulfur in it. All right, some, uh, let's see, Science Direct Journal in 2011 was listing um, uh, some information on sulfur. They say some high uh, sulfur foods are garlic and onions. Uh, they have a superior organic sulfur compound, help protect you from infections um, and from internal medicine diseases like cancer. Uh, the Saudi Pharmaceutical Journal stated uh, in their Middle East, uh, uh, I guess, issue that Mediterranean countries, Asian countries use those type of sulfur foods a lot, and uh, it's almost like a natural antibiotic for them, and uh, it's more effective. All right, so if you have a sulfur deficiency, um, you also can lead, it also can lead to inflammatory type diseases, more pain, more skin wrinkles, and health problems that involve more muscle and bone problems. 
So without adequate sulfur, we can have uh, metabolic imbalance and insulin issues, hormone issues. So you got to get that sulfur so the body can metabolize your carbohydrates, utilize sugars properly for fuel, and also uh, send fuel to the muscle cells. So sulfur, third most important mineral that you could have in your body. So you want to replenish that sulfur. So do that. You know, get that in your diet. Get more onions going, or garlic going, all those wonderful uh, sulfur-rich uh, foods. Um, dandelion root, if you're looking at herbs, dandelion root, um, chlorella, turmeric, burdock root, mustard, eyebright herb, horseradish, parsley, uh, fennel, spinach, echinacea, ginseng, cayenne peppers, all have your natural sulfurs in there. And what I like about whole food nutrition is that sulfur will be chemically properly balanced with other minerals for uptake so the body can utilize just what it needs. And that's what I like about it. So if you're looking for some sulfur-rich herbs, you know who to call. The folks at Apothecary Herbs, they have this great all-in-one tonic that has your horseradish, your ginger, your onion, your garlic, your hot peppers. Oh, you talk about sulfur heaven, right? And it's all uh, aged in this organic vinegar. Yummy. And uh, it's really a broad spectrum uh, anti-plague formula that the ancient herbalists made. So um, you can use that once or twice a week during the cold and flu season and ward off a lot of little critters that you don't want. Um, a lot of people are already calling. They've got issues, um, lots of things making them sick, cough, um, sinus infections, ear infections. So we're already getting into it, and we're getting close to the sugarholic day of Halloween. So you, you mark my words, uh, November is going to be a big sicky month because people are going to be full of sugar, and they lower their immune system. Okay. Then right after that, we have what? Right after that, we have Thanksgiving, lots of pies and things and carbs and adult beverages and more sickness. You know, people get sick if they eat too much rich food and uh, lowering their immune system a lot of sugar and alcohol. And then we roll on into Christmas. Same thing. And then, wait, we're not done. We have New Year's. Happy New Year. More alcohol. And lastly, Valentine's Day. So this is why we have a flu season from October to March, basically, is because of the way we're eating. Of course, we're indoors more. But um, if you can just really lower that sugar intake, you'll do much better. But you know who to call for immune-boosting formulas. That would be the folks at Apothecary Herbs. And that all-in-one tonic is on their website. They have it in two sizes, so you can check it out under the Immune Booster tab. Just click on that. And um, and they do have some other things. They have a nip it in the bud three pack call three amigos, and they have sinus formula, the Echinacea Deluxe, and they have a pneumonia pack. They got all kinds of stuff. So um, check it out. Get a catalog. Eight six six two two nine three six six three is their number. Eight six six two two nine three six six three. Thepowerherbs.com. Check it out. All righty, we're rolling along here. And we're going to talk about acidosis. Um, it's a pH issue. You know, um, millions of people suffer from either moderate to chronic acidosis. And doctors are really not informing their patients 
what could be the cause of that health problem. If it's left unchecked, acidosis creates a metabolic meltdown over time and can cause even major organ failure. So most patients will get prescriptions for the management of this um, problem, uh, you know, manage various symptoms, um, with really no resolution of the cause. So we're going to take a look at acidosis and um, all its associated diseases. It apparently has company. So doctors will describe acidosis as an insulin issue when it's most often a diet issue. So people with chronic acidosis will experience a wide range of symptoms such as digestive disorders, kidney malfunction, congestive heart failure, and liver failure, just to name a few. So what happens is that though there's a consumption of unhealthy foods um, and these problems crop up. So when the body breaks down the fats and foods, the acids are formed. And if the body can't neutralize enough of those acids, they get stored in the body, in the fat, and also in organs, and then the organs become fatty. So if the person's diet is such that the body is asked to get its energy from fat, then these acids can be released, causing diseases. Now, if there are too many toxic acids stored in the body's fat, the body will resist weight loss to protect itself from the acids. And people with acidosis most often have a lot of excess weight around the abdomen. So really, lifestyle is promoting acidosis. So you got to change the lifestyle. It's simple. So there are habits that can expose us to a greater risk of developing a condition called acidosis, which are alcoholism, malnutrition from junk food, excessive sugar causing a diabetic disease, and people who eat a high animal protein diet or um, a high in fat diet with, with little to no carbohydrates will also have a high risk of developing acidosis because there's acids in the meat. So this creates a lot of lactic acid in the system, and it will harm the kidneys and liver. So if the acid permeates the blood system, it's going to lead to congestive heart failure and possibly cancer. In chronic cases, the acidosis, uh, a person's breath can smell almost fruity, okay? Uh, and it's not uncommon that uh, in severe cases, acid buildup in the system um, a person can go into shock and coma and die. So too much acid, not a good thing. So uh, what do we do about testing for that? Well, it's a good idea to keep a check on your pH levels in your body. And most people can obtain pH test strips. And they can test their saliva or their urine. Now, to test blood for pH, a medical staff is required. And the objective is to keep your pH level at a 6.9 if you're testing saliva or urine. So for blood, the pH should not be lower than 7.3. Now, if you get a blood test, ask about the potassium, the glucose, and the ketone and the lactic acid levels, which will be usually above their normal limits if you have acidosis in your system. And there are ranges for these levels, so like potassium's normal range is 3.7 to 5.2. Glucose normal fasting is um, greater than 100 or less than 140, two hours after a meal. Uh, the ketone, which is um, 
It, it really tells you if you have diabetes, high blood sugar varies, um, and the lactic acid is usually 0 to 5.1. Uh, um, no, I'm sorry. It, the lactic acid, I read that wrong, is 0 is 0.521. There you go. So medical doctors are trained to treat only your symptoms of acidosis. They're not going to get at your cause of acidosis. They're going to re they're going to recommend that you drink baking soda, sodium bicarbonate, um, and take citric acid drugs or Alka-Seltzer to lower your acid numbers. But in acute instances, this will be um, uh, given in an IV. They'll do it in the IV. So doctors may also prescribe drugs for blood pressure, insulin, seizures, nausea, vomiting. How many drugs are you going to be on? And many physicians believe that chronic disease like diabetes and heart disease cause, cause the acidosis when, in fact, most often it's the other way around. Now, in 1976, Dr. Robert Cohen and Dr. Frank Woods discovered that this Aside from the internal medicine diseases causes, caused by acidosis, it can also occur with a, prescription medicines can be the cause of your acidosis. Various toxins from uh, the drugs, even generic drugs, causes this weakness. So here are some of your culprit drugs that can cause you to develop acidosis. Um, they're going to be your antibacterial and sulfur, sulfur drugs. <laughs> Yeah, and Merck Emanuel, if you get one of those, um, it, in particular, it points out that synthetic bacterial drugs can be putting people at a high risk of acidosis conditions. So if you're on a lot of antibiotics, hey, that could be the reason. So if you've got, you know, chronic sinus infections and you're on long courses of antibiotics, well, you could be developing another problem. Um, so all these drugs fall under the cate category of sulfamidines, and these drugs do fight various bacterial infections all over the body, including urinary tract infections, vaginal infections, uh, drugs. Um, uh, it's even they even put this stuff in vaginal creams, and these drugs can be found in your liver, where your liver tries to neutralize these harmful effects. And then the debris and residues will be sent to the kidneys, and the drugs have this long list of side effects that affect a lot of these major organs and your system. So it's a wonder that, um, well, let's just put it this way. 007 isn't the only one that has a license to kill, okay? Um, many of the medications or the over-the-counter drugs that can lead to acidosis uh, are an additional risk causing tissue hypoxia. So tissue hypoxia is a lack of adequate oxygen to the tissues. An example would be carbon monoxide poisoning. So the hypoxia can be very subtle, and people won't even recognize that it's happening. Some symptoms would be nausea, headache, dizziness, visual impairment, tingling, poor judgment, rapid breathing, just to name a few. Some major drugs that can contribute to tissue hypoxia are your anticonvulsant drugs, aspirin, ethylene glycol found in your vaccines, epinephrine, norepinephrine, amphetamines, and cocaine. 
So obviously these, uh, the tissue hypoxy is very bad situation, very bad, and it can have fatal consequences. And people are kind of frustrated when they have this, uh, this weight loss effort underway and they can't seem to lose weight, not going anywhere. And they exercise, they count their calories, they abstain from drinking alcohol and all that fun stuff, and the weight is slow or does not come off, no budging at all. The problem could be the acidosis, like I mentioned. So when the pH is off, the body's metabolism will not function normally. And in some test groups, they found that people with acidosis were also dehydrated and their thirst mechanism was not working properly. So long-term dehydration will disrupt your normal thirst mechanism. And people who drink a lot of alcohol, a lot of caffeine every day, you know, they throw off their thirst mechanism. Okay, so like, let's say you have tea or coffee in the morning to wake up. Um, you get to work, you may have another cup of coffee or, or another cup of tea. Then at lunch, oh, you may have a soda with caffeine or you may have iced tea. And then um, another caffeine pick-me-up in the afternoon. And then with dinner, if it's not iced tea um, or soda, with dinner you're going to have an adult beverage like beer, wine, whatever, and it's going to dehydrate you some more. See, it's a, it's a whole day of dehydration, and people don't know how thirsty they are. And um, in situations of dehydration, the brain has difficulty telling the difference between thirst and hunger. So the body can receive false feelings of hunger when they really are dehydrated. And with dehydration comes a rise in acids. Acidosis can cause the body to store more fat, which triggers dehydration as well. So if that blood pH goes below 7.3, the body dumps minerals stored in the bones, stored in your teeth, and other organs in order to counter the rise in your acids so you can get, you know, bone problems. Long-term acidosis causes bone loss. So the acids can also cause inflammation and scarring of the organs. The body will use fat stored to protect itself from the toxic acids. Cosmetic physicians will tell you that patients which receive liposuction have fat that's so discolored with acid, it's brown, it's black, it has all these residues in it, it has all these acid deposits. Okay, so what did we learn here? We learned that if you go to the physician, he's going to treat your symptoms. He's going to put you on drugs for bone loss and inflammation. and He's going to put you on drugs for just about everything, which is going to exacerbate your acidosis. And um, you're not going to be any better. You're just going to get worse. So... Uh, they'll try neutralizing the acids, but it's really the lifestyle. That's what it is. So how do you reverse acidosis? Well, dietary changes will be necessary to help you neutralize and balance those acids. And once you get that balance established, your body will start dumping some of that uh, fat a little at a time because the toxicity of the acids won't be as high and it won't feel as threatened. So eating more raw fruits and vegetables will produce an alkaline effect, and you will want to get into that habit of eating these foods to avoid a condition from coming back. And once you get in the habit of grabbing an apple instead of a bag of chips, uh, you'll notice that there's more nutrition in the apple and the body's satisfied and your hunger pains go away.
So um, also herb teas are the exception as well as natural sugar and juices. So if you're worried about, you know, the, the diabetic um, issue, uh, that's fine. But you do want to avoid the alcohol that converts to a lot of uh, sugar and avoid the sodas. Um, so you, if you're worried about the sugar still, you can take and cut your citrus juice about 50% with more water. Citrus, although it, is, it does have acids, uh, it does have a natural alkalizing effect when it's inside the body. So berries and melons, they're fine. Uh, by the way, the standard garden carrot contains natural nutrients to help combat acidosis. So eat some carrots every day. Alfalfa grass is another one. It's so mineral rich, it contains eight essential amino acids to help your liver and help it metabolize things better and promotes a better pH for your system. So keep that in mind. And also uh, reduce any of those unhealthy fats. Of course, you know that. If you're a big meat eater, you know, trying to trim it down to four ounces. So when it comes to acidosis and the diseases that it creates, it's important to use cleansing herbs with your diet changes and remove a lot of those acidy residues. So if I had acidosis, I would do the system organ cleanses from the bowel all the way to the blood system, and you can learn how you can do that at thepowerherbs.com. You just go to the, the organ cleanse section, and you, just, you can see where they're listed in order. You can get a package of them and then work through them one at a time. And, and then what I would do is I would add um, the body food mix because it has those wonderful uh, herbs in it that help balance the acids better and also gives the body energy, the alfalfa grasses in it. And this will not only help remove acid residues, but also um, it will help with any inflaming of tissues that has happened. So it helps calm down inflammation as well. Uh, so if you're worried about a cancer risk, throw in some dandelion. You know, that's worth, that's worth uh, throwing in. It's, um, and there's, there's cleanses for your kidneys if you're worried about there's some damage there. And um, lymphatic system, uh, thyroid, adrenal glands, all that stuff, when you get the toxins out and the residues out, the body's able to balance and heal, especially if you're putting good nutrition back in and not junking up the diet. So you're, you have this power right now. You have that control to take back that power right now, and you don't have to um, go decades on drugs and get worse and worse and worse and worse. You want things that are strengthen you, not weaken you. And, of course, we all know the medical industry is a business, and they make money off of the sick people. So... You want to you want things that are going to reverse a problem. It's not going to be drugs. Mm -mm, no can do. I think medicine has its place in its trauma, but internal medicine diseases they're all about managing your disease so you can live as comfortably as possible with it until you dead. I, I'm sorry, I was blunt. <laughs> but you have the power to restore your balance all by yourself. Um, don't let anybody tell you you can't because God's herbs are here for the service of man. They're here for the healing of the nations. And uh, God said that, and we all know God can't lie. So check it out, thepowerherbs.com. It's all about putting the power back in your hands and strengthening, mm -hmm, assisting, balancing. 
And you can go and check it out, thepowerherbs.com, or give them a call for a catalog, and they'll mail it to you, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663, thepowerherbs.com. That's where your health care options just became endless because you got the power. Isn't there a song like that, Frank? Maybe we should get that for Bumper. You got the power. I don't know who did that song, but I'm going to check that out. I like it. <laughs> Maybe it could be a new theme song. What do you think? No? All right. I'm out of time. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease. So seek medical advice if you dare from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Till next time, be well. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide. But it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Good evening and welcome to the Covenanters Call. It is October the 18th in the year of our Lord 2016, and we do welcome you to the broadcast. Appreciate folks in the chat room this evening, about a half a dozen of us in there. I encourage you, if you have the opportunity to come into the AVRN chat room, then you do so. Lots of stimulating conversation, as well as lots of interesting facts coming in there, so we encourage you to do that. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in to the broadcast this evening. We are a Bible call-in question and answer program. If you feel the need to call us on anything we're dealing with, that number here at AVR, 1-800-932-1980. 
That's 1-800-932-1980. If you're a local caller, uh, that number's 541-826-0953. We appreciate our dear friends listening out there in northern New Mexico and the state of Washington. One of our friends from the state of Washington in the chat room with us right now. Appreciate folks up north of us uh, in this state listening, as well as other people uh, who knows where. But we appreciate you tuning in to the Covenanters call. We would love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. Drop us an email, themuggyown at cleanenter.net. I'll give you that in spelling later on. Or give us a phone call at number 812-653-5578. Let me remind you a couple of prayer requests. Appreciate if you keep praying for our friend Shelby as she continues her struggle with cancer. Also, little Helen Rose in the process of some of the more extreme treatments that she's going through right now. And uh, she is over there in the Cincinnati Children's Hospital all this week and probably most of next week. Appreciate your prayers for her. Then also, let me encourage you to pray for a preacher friend of mine. You'll remember me mentioning Pastor Shea Carpenter. Uh, he is the pastor of the Faith Baptist Church there in Edderville, Missouri, uh, where we have family camp every year. Uh, he uh, works on the side, as most of we preachers do, and he's a chimney sweep and done it for a number of years. Yesterday, an old chimney collapsed on him and crushed his left hand. He was taken up to Columbia, Missouri last night Went into surgery about 11 p.m., was in there until about 4 in the morning. But uh, on his uh, ring finger and his pinky finger, it uh, crushed and shattered the bones in there where the finger hooks to the hand. And uh, as I understand, I believe it was a tendon that was cut or a ligament. I can't remember which one. But uh, tremendous job done by the doctor there. Uh, when he went into surgery, uh, Pastor Carpenter said he could not move his uh, two fingers, but since the surgery, uh, he's doing real well. Both fingers have mobility back. We thank the Lord for that. But uh, he's on his way home, probably home by now. But appreciate if you be praying for him as he recovers. It's going to take him a while to recover from that surgery. But I know that uh, Pastor Shea, S-H-A-Y Carpenter, uh, will tremendously appreciate your prayers. Now, on last Tuesday night, as we have been doing our study of America's descent into tyranny, I was sharing with you the fact that uh, we have a group of people in this nation today, uh, a greater part uh, of the American population, that has what we have termed no faith whatsoever. But a part of that group who has no faith is religious. And it is this religious segment of the population that the devil uses and will use to support his next step in replacing God in America. They will become his deceived dupes in this endeavor because they are religious. The non-religious crowd, since they have little interest in spiritual things, could not care less about God or a God, the devil will change this attitude among these non-religious ones in due time. But for now, he's going to make use of the religious Americans to usher in, to popularize, to make acceptable the new American God. Now that next step will be, and now is emerging, as hatred of truth. To hate the truth, especially among religious Americans 
is a requirement to bring in the time of the new American God. Truth must be denigrated. Truth has to be marginalized and eventually eradicated. First, false prophets teaching false doctrine, then no faith, and then hatred of the truth. You see, that's how it's happening, folks. That's the devil's plan for the progression of the falling away, the apostasy in America. After hatred for the truth will come spiritual wickedness, followed by Satan worship. And arising somewhere among these last three steps of the progression downward will be tyranny. The tyranny that will be used by the devil to murder millions of Americans, Christians, and non-Christians alike. The American tyranny looms before us as the ominous, gray, boiling specter of a horrendous hurricane rushing toward our shores. But so many of us choose to ignore, not to recognize, to avoid, and to deny the truth of our nation's, nation's future. That's very sad for us. Beginning almost 40 years ago, Hollywood produced a series of motion pictures which introduced the greater part of the American public to the concept of what will become their new god. Those films are known as the Star Wars trilogy. Since the first and original Star Wars movie in 1977, there have been a total of eight films in that series. They began what the movie industry calls cult films. And since the Star Wars movies, a genre of similar so-called science fiction movies and television series, have arisen. Many of them portraying in one fashion or another the idea or concept of a cosmic God, a power, a being that's ordering the control of all the force or the forces of the universe. Thoreau and Emerson, two of America's early influential mystics, would be proud of the accomplishments of this deception in America. Prior to the initiation of the American public, beginning in the late 1970s, into the philosophy surrounding their new God, his, its existence had only been promoted among groups of esoteric, occult, mystic-minded people. These people and their organizations form the foundation of the contemporary New Age movement, so well described by Constance Cumby in her book, Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow, to which we made reference in this story. In reality, in fact, the New Age movement is not new. It has existed for centuries. Some of its tenets are derived from beliefs which characterize the so-called Eastern mystery religions. Beginning in the 1960s, these Eastern mystery beliefs regarding God and man began to be imported to the mainstream Western cultures through their modes of music. Perfect example is the Beatles. Through the explosion of the drug and narcotic use beginning among the youth of America, brought to us by the criminal underground, the mafia, the entertainment industry, the CIA, and the Vietnam-era military, mostly. And through the introduction to the general American culture that the false Masonic idea that all religions are on a level playing field so far as validity and utility and honor are concerned. The American movie industry only served as a tool and venue to highlight these subtle insinuations of the New Age philosophy into general American culture. It rapidly took hold. The God of the New Age will soon be adopted.
acknowledged and adhered to as the new American God. Indeed, in the minds of many Americans, this new age God already holds a place of prominent influence. Although many of that many would not consciously agree with this evaluation because they don't understand how their thinking about God's been altered by the devil. Lucifer has worked an affliction, 1 Peter 5 verse 9, into the minds of Americans over the past few decades, subtly skewing their thinking about God to favor the New Age philosophy. Since most of the American public is not saved, does not possess the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit, and has very little spiritual discernment, the devil has had little opposition in working this affliction among his victims. The New Age God has many faces, several presentations, and a varied description depending upon which particular stream of New Age thought and philosophy one wishes to examine. There are, however, certain prominent expressions of the New Age God which are common to all threads of the New Age ideas about God. It is these commonalities which will serve as the foundation for the worldwide acceptance of this false God and upon which the global world religion will arise. In America, apostasy from true Christianity, predominance of a sensual fleshly attitude, rejection of the authority of God's word, and a thoroughly bankrupt moral conscience will provide the open channels through which the New Age God will be inducted and established in our society. We are there now. We, America, are prepared and ready to receive our new God. All that is required for a total national give-over to this New Age God is the strength and influence of a formal authoritarian, excuse me, authoritarian, culturally broadly based program to get it done. We need a spiritual nudge in America to give over to this false god. This nudge will involve and include existing religions and religious institutions, government at all levels, the education establishment, the environmentalist movement, the military, the entertainment industry in all its facets, the organs which create and disseminate all sources of consumer disinformation, and international groups such as the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the National Council of Churches, and so on. Since the devil has infiltrated each and all of those entities, and many, many more throughout the land, a concerted move by all these groups and organizations and social influences will be almost impossible for the American public to resist, even if they fought critically enough to understand what has happened to them. The New Age God will be sown soon, deeply and widely and permanently within the hearts and minds of the American public. There will be no cataclysmic struggle brought upon Americans to force them to recognize and accept their new God. It'll be done smoothly, subtly, and seemingly as natural as falling off a log, as the old saying goes. I'm convinced that this deception is part of that particular deception prophesied by God in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 and 10. Now take note of this. The only ones to resist this introduction of America's new God will be the biblical Christians and perhaps 
a few Orthodox Jews. Until the advent of the abomination of desolation, you can read about that in Matthew 24, verse 15, this new age God will be a faceless, nameless, impersonal presence only. In due time, when the Antichrist beast is personally and physically and actually possessed by Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself, then, and only then, will the New Age God be identified and identifiable as and with the very person of the Antichrist. His image will be placed in the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem for all the world to see and to worship. Until that time, the New Age God will be unseen and unidentified specifically by name. Before the New Age God is given a human slash devil identity and presence, it will be known and called and referred to only as a force or the force. This name referring to this God being introduced to the movie-going American public in the first of the Star Wars movies back in 1977. In that movie and subsequent movies in that series, the unknown, invisible, cosmic, universal, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful entity to which the entire universe paid heed was only called and referred to as the Force. It was, in those movies, the force in which, to which, and through which all life had its being, its sustenance, its meaning, its power. The force in the Star Wars movies is akin to the cosmic Hindu god, which is an accumulation, a holding place, a, a repository, if you please, of all the so-called life power resident within the universe. It's akin to the Brahma God, revered by earlier American mystics such as Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. It's akin to the Luciferian God worshipped by high-level masonry, the Rosicrucians, and other mystical religious groups like the Theosophist Society, founded in America by Helena Petrova Blavatsky in 1875. The force of the Star Wars movies is the accumulation of all life force in the universe. To the Hindu, upon physical death, the life force of the dead person returns to the cosmic god, Brahma, from which it originally came. The Hindus believe that the Brahma will remake and remold and reshape that life force into another, a new a different life force, and return it to Earth. This particular Hindu doctrine is akin to other doctrines which are characterized by a belief in reincarnation. This false theology was a primary tenet taught to the movie-going American public in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, and its sequel, 2010. Present-day American mystics, such as actress Shirley MacLaine, follow after this false teaching, adding to it the Buddhist teaching that one may become a god, as Buddha did, they say. Indeed, becoming a god, or at least possessing the divine spark of Christ within oneself by virtue of being human, is a predominant New Age idea, followed by some who call themselves Christian. This thinking is a close rendition of the lie told to Eve in the Garden of Eden 
by the one who wishes to be worshipped as God. In fact, he, the devil, is the new age God in disguise. In due time, the disguise will be discarded and the man behind the curtain will be revealed to the whole world. The Star Wars movies were used as a spectacular venue for introducing mystic Eastern religious ideas to the American public. The New Age God will be a God of forces. It will be a refinement of the force of the Star Wars movies. It will be that invisible, unseen, unnamed, but very present power throughout the universe. It, the force, will be worshipped by all men on the earth before it is given a visible, tangible face and image in the person of the Antichrist. And indeed, the Antichrist himself will worship this God of forces before he is presented to the world as the human personification of the unseen force that they've been worshiping. Will the people of this world buy this con job? Absolutely, they will buy it. They'll buy it as their ancient ancestors bought the same satanic lie in all former cultures and societies down through the centuries. Men have always worshipped other men, in other words, themselves, as gods and goddesses ever since the introduction of this evil concept after the trial, sentencing, and execution of King Nimrod. Nimrod's grieving widow, Semiramis, under Satan's tutelage, invented the first man worship, created the first man god from her dead husband's memory. Nimrod, rising from the dead, uh, as the story goes, became worshipped by all Babel as the reincarnated God who was before a man. This satanic invention to capture the minds and worship of men became, then, the ancient mystery religion, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, named by God in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Nimrod became Baal, or Bel. Semiramis became the consort of Bel, Beltis. After which, the world was off to the races, into the plethora of false gods and goddesses. Now, friends, be assured and understand that man worshiping himself as God has always been the devil's deceptive tool. He first exposed this lie in the Garden of Eden. The devil used Queen Semiramis, the widow of the slain King Nimrod, by the way, Noah's great-grandson, in his conspiracy to begin the spread of this false religious idea of making gods from men. Nimrod, then, became the first man after the flood to be worshipped as a god, and his queen, Semiramis, became the first of the many queens of heaven. In fact, the force, or the god of forces, which will be adopted as America's new god, is and will be identical to the god of force named and spoken of by Albert Pike, former head of the American Masonic Lodges in the late 19th century. Pike, the prime philosopher for the Freemasons in America, wrote a book detailing the occult beliefs of the highest levels of American Freemasonry entitled Morals and Dogma. In his book, Pike declared that Lucifer, by the way he called him the light bearer, 
is indeed God, the God of force. Only the highest levels of Freemasons understand and subscribe to Lucifer worship as their reason for organizing as the secret group they represent and adhere to. Lucifer, the same spirit who rebelled against Jehovah God in the Bible, is this very God of force and the personage worshipped as God by the upper-level Denzians of the Freemasons throughout the world. God prophesied this very fact in the book of Daniel. Now, we need not guess or speculate or wonder or imagine about this first month fundamental fact of the New Age God of forces. What does God say as he describes to us the nature and character of the tribulation period Antichrist? Well, friends, all you have to do is read Daniel 11, verses 38, and first part of verse 39. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with the strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. God supplies us with much knowledge in these verses. We need to take the time to examine some of it in order that we may begin to understand the times in which we live and the coming to pass of the New Age God of forces. Now, the man spoken of in these verses is the Antichrist, the first beast of Revelation 13. He's already acquired his estate. That means the beast, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, has been revealed, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. It means also that not only has he been revealed, but he's been given and ascended to his place of world-dominating power, referred to here by God as his estate. He is seated in his political seat of power as the Antichrist, and after which all the world wonders, Revelation 13 and verse 30. Now, friends, we're coming up on a break here. I want to encourage you to stay tuned to the Covenanters' call as we continue dealing with the subject, America's descent into tyranny. We're going to get back to this in just a moment. And I want you to stay tuned. Make sure you hang on with us. You folks in the chat, in the chat room, pay attention. Good to see Tony, the watchman in there, and the others that are in there. I appreciate you being there. But you stay tuned now for the second half of the Covenanters' Call.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. Once again, broadcasting live. Got some rain coming in here in southern Indiana this evening. That's good. And then for the end of the week, we're supposed to be getting down one day in the 50s as the high. I look forward to this time of year. I praise the Lord. We've got our wood pile all stocked up, all inside, and ready for that old man winter to show his face. So we praise the Lord for that. Let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, I'll be a supporter of American Voice Radio. Now, you have that opportunity, main page of the website. If you appreciate the things that you hear on this broadcasting network, then uh, you be a supporter. Even if you don't appreciate what you hear on here, uh, just be thankful for the fact that there are still broadcasting networks out there like this one, although we believe ours to be the best, and uh, be a supporter. So remember those prayer requests we shared with you again 
Uh, love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, and uh, we'll give you the the uh, email address and the phone number, Lord willing, again at the end of the broadcast. But let me remind you also of our upcoming meeting in December, the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. It will be our 10th or 11th annual ELC meeting, going to have preachers in from across the country. Uh, these men understand the issue of the Lordship of Christ. Uh, we are not 501c3, never have been, never will be. And uh, it's amazing the things the Lord has done uh, to provide the way for us. We don't uh, don't have a checking account. And you say, how is that possible for a church to not have a checking account? Well, we, we don't. Uh, you, you know, you have to have that... Uh, that uh, federal ID number to do that, and, and that's not something that we're interested in. You say, how do you pay your bills? You pay cash, and uh, we just trust the Lord for the outcome. God has been very good to us. We're coming up this spring on the 10th year uh, of our church here, Stampers Creek Historic Baptist Church. We are in the process of saving toward putting our own building up so we'd have our own place to meet, and uh, you'd be praying with us about that, that if the Lord will allow us. I'd like to see us break ground this coming spring right here on this property where I am speaking from. So uh, we would encourage you uh, to remember us in your prayers. Now, we're talking about this Antichrist and what the Scripture there had to say about him. Now, God says that in his estate, he honors the God of forces. The Antichrist will use the power, the position, and the persuasion of his seat of office his estate, to demonstrate to the world the requirement for all the world to do as he does and worship the God of forces. Now, since the Antichrist will show honor to this invisible, unseen God, which somehow has power over certain forces, then by virtue of the influence of his estate, he sets the example for the entire world to also show honor to this God. Further. The Antichrist will show honor to this God of forces through bestowing upon him, or it, gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Wealth, of course. The Antichrist will exalt the God of forces through the offering of riches, material riches. The citizens of the world will be encouraged at least, or coerced at most, to do the same to show the same honor to this God of forces. This is part of the reason for the accumulation of great wealth of the harlot global church, the great whore of Revelation 17 and 18. And it is part of the reason for her ultimate destruction by those who at first support her and commit fornication with her, the merchants and kings and rulers of the earth. It is they, her original benefactors and supporters, who come to cover, excuse me, covet her stupendous wealth. Their greed then leads them to destroy her with fire and to steal her wealth. Now God reveals to us that this God of forces is a God whom the fathers or human forebears of the Antichrist knew not. What gods did the fathers of the Antichrist worship? Well, they worshiped many gods, but all of those gods were known by name, by face, by appearance, by appointment, by geography, by limitations, by some identity by which the humans who worshiped them could call them and identify them. But not so 
this new God. This God of forces is not like Buddha, a man who became a God, with a face, uh, an idol, a representation. Neither is he a Moloch, or a Chemosh, or a Krishna, or a Joseph Smith, or the Mormon idea of an Adam like God, or a, a Vishnu, or an Allah, or a godlike Scientologist, or a, a God from the Worldwide Church of God, or a Shirley MacLaine who calls herself God. These gods were and are identifiable in some fashion to those who worshipped and honored them. But the God of forces is more mysterious in the aspects of the power and personage for which he demands he be honored. Now consider what this God is called in God's word. It is referred to as the God of forces. Understand, it's not called the God of force, singular, identifying a certain quality related to strength or power. No, it's called the God of forces, plural, which presents to us a very different picture of the characteristics of this New Age God. Now, in the Star Wars movies, a familiar phrase which was repeated often was this, May the force be with you. It was represented as a kind of well-wish or good luck or hopeful occasion that would follow the one spoken to as he became a beneficiary of the support and powers and occult dimensions of the universal force. In fact, in these movies, it was possible for a human to obtain a degree of power resident in this universal force. The force would be willing to share his, its force with others. This idea is important to the belief in the God of forces. And it is a deception which the devil will work in the minds of men. Remember that verse we saw? It's called an affliction in order to gain their worship of the God of forces. In fact, the beast, the Antichrist, will perhaps be the leading worshiper of the God of forces, desiring to be given the personal benefit of those very forces. Perhaps, this is one reason the whole world will wonder at the beast, saying who can make war with him, Revelation 13, 4. Yes, this is the God of forces revealed to us in Daniel 11, verse 38. Well, how so? We need to understand this idea of forces. It does not refer to marching armies or armadas of warships or flights of ICBMs or batteries of cannon. It does not necessarily refer to a flesh and blood, irresistible enemy power intent upon dominating any particular geographical area which it covets. The term forces used here as God calls it the God of forces in Daniel 11.38 refers to fortifications, a fortified place, or a defense. It refers to a stronghold. This God, honored by the Antichrist, will be a God that secures fortified places, strongholds, places or situations that are hard to be assailed. It will be a God which is specifically characterized by the strongholds which it erects, commands, defends, and uses to further its mysterious will upon mankind. Now, this idea is the same one that's expressed in the New Testament 
in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Now, listen to what God says there. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These strongholds are not brick or mortar or steel, and they're not concrete bunkers built by the hands of man. No, these strongholds, my friends, are ideas. They're philosophies, rudiments of the world, imaginations, ways of conduct based upon deception which the devil has worked into human societies. They are the products of the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6 and verse 11. These strongholds are strongholds of the mind, which are given power and influence in the ways people and societies operate in the world. These strongholds are indeed forces, and they are as strong as any physical army of men, as strong as any blitzkrieg of tanks, as strong as any fleet of warships. And it is this idea which is described by God when he refers to the God of forces in Daniel 11 and verse 38. The God of forces is an unseen God that has erected strongholds of the mind, fortifications of thought, defenses of attitude and belief and action based upon those attitudes and beliefs. This is a completely different kind of God as was worshipped by the human ancestors of not only the Antichrist, but most of mankind. The God of forces, who is in reality Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is a God who exerts his power and influence through the mind deceptions he's worked upon all man. The God of forces operates in all three of the realms of man's being, the spirit, the soul, and the flesh. The forces he brings to bear upon humans who will be required to worship him are in the realm of the unregenerate spirit and or the unsanctified soul. But they are acted out or upon and in and by the physical, the flesh. We need to see some examples so we can understand. First, we must understand a few truths about the one true God, the only God, the real God, Jehovah God of the Bible. There is no God formed before Jehovah God. There will never be any God formed after Jehovah God. Isaiah 43 and verse 10. Beside Jehovah God, there is no God. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Jehovah God is God, and there is none else. Isaiah 45, verse 22. But wait, one might say. Men have had and worshipped all sorts of gods. They've done this for manifold centuries. Well, that's true. But none of these gods was a real god. A true God. Each and all of these gods were only false gods invented by the men who worshipped them. Yes, they all had origins in the minds of men, and those origins were replaced there by Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself. God says there is no God formed before him or after him. That is the truth. 
So all the other gods which men have worshipped and still worship today have been false gods. No gods, vanity, nothingness, emptiness with no form. That is, no being, no substance, no power, and only imaginary in existence. Jehovah God, the only true God, possesses a unique power. It originates from a unique source. The force of this unique power is irresistible by any force or part of the universe. God's power is supreme. It is superlative. It's supernatural. It is separate from any and all lesser powers found in the universe. A universe, by the way, which he himself created. Romans 13, 1. God's power is born upon, manifested through the medium of his word. God speaks and what he speaks becomes reality. Read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God used his word to create, to bring into existence the universe. And every infinitesimal particle of dust which fills the universe. The word of God is powerful. Through it, he brings into being whatever he desires. It is not the magic in God's word or words which have power, but it is the unique power which God alone possesses, which moves through his word, which is meaningful. God's words are not magical. In other words, they are not as some witch's incantation or spell or recitation which is spoken word for word, cause or create some situation or state of being. Truly, these are man's false ideas. No. The word or words of God are powerful because he makes them that way. He is the only being who's able to do such a thing. He... God is unique in all his facets, person and being. There's none like him. God chose to create. He used his word as the medium of his creation. God has chosen to bring life to the universe. His creation and into the universe through his power, born upon his word. God's word brings life, physical and spiritual. Only God can and could do these things. There is no God who was, is, or will be capable of doing such things. There is no other God. Only God is God. And only God has the power to power and the ability and the force, if you will, to create something out of nothing, to make a universe merely by speaking it into existence through his words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 verse 1. Only God, Jehovah God, can create life, and that from nothing. Life, existence, being, are God's domain, as he is before all things, and as he only is able to make life. All life in the universe is dependent upon God. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. Only Jehovah God can bring a thing into being whether it's a human like Adam or a universe, at his will. Only Jehovah God can create outright a thing, anything, he desires at his will. 
There is no God that can do such a thing. What Jehovah God does through his creative genius and power to generate life and being is done upon a foundation of love. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. God's love is expressed to every being. God's love is righteous. Therefore, it is perfect love. It undergirds his creation, the universe, and is the theme of his creation and of his very mind. God is love. God is a spirit. He's not, a, not of the flesh. God chose to make to create flesh. He made all flesh. He made man flesh. It was his love which he expressed to man by giving him flesh as the vessel for his soul and spirit being. For man, although flesh, is also spirit. God's desire for man, for the spirit of man, is that he, God, will be loved and worshipped and obeyed and honored and glorified in and through that spirit. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. The flesh within which the spirit of man dwells is intended by God to be the vehicle through and by which the spirit of man may love and worship and obey God. Love for God by man is intended by God to be the motivation for honoring, glorifying, obeying, and exalting God through and in the fleshly body he has bestowed upon man. These are earthly considerations. They are earthly because of the intervention of sin in the plan of God that God had for man from the beginning. In the ever after, men will love, worship, honor, obey, and exalt God in new bodies, in glorified bodies, in spirit bodies, as yet indiscernible, undescribable, and not identifiable by you or me. Still, men will love God in some form of body, for this has always been God's plan for man. These men will no longer be earthly men. They will be heavenly men. Their bodies will no longer be terrestrial, fleshly bodies, but celestial, glorified bodies. Love from God to men and from men to God will once again reign supreme in the place that God has chosen to be with saved men forever, for eternity. Now all these realities, for indeed they are realities, will come to pass. They're real now and will continue to be real in the future. Only Jehovah God could, can, and will bring these things to pass because only He is God. There is no other God who can do these things. There is no other God who is God. So it's an impossibility for false gods, for gods created within the vanity of the imaginations of men, or devil angels, to bring about what only Jehovah God can do. These things are about God, the true God, the only God. What of the new American God? What of the God of forces, the New Age God, the one God which will all the world will come to worship and follow after as they are led into that attitude by their world leader, the Antichrist? The God of forces does not, nor can he create anything outright. He can make nothing out of nothing. He cannot speak a thing into existence. He has no force, no power, no ability to bring life 
into existence to generate life from nothingness. The word or words of the God of forces are vain words. They're empty words, which carry no creative force in them. The God of forces is not a generative God, therefore he is no God. Life, the generating of life, the sustaining of life, the giving and taking of life, the creating of life in all its manifold shapes and forms, is an ability and power which the God of forces does not have, own, carry, or demonstrate. This false God has no power which can generate, create, sustain, or moderate a universe. No, not even one life, not even one speck of dust. But the God of forces does demonstrate a power over life. That power is the power of death. Still, this false God cannot arbitrarily make or create death at his will, unapproved or unallowed by Jehovah God. Just read the book of Job, you'll find that out. Yet death is one force which the God of forces works among the world of man. He can't do it outright at his will, at his whim. How then does he exercise this power of death? Well, he does it. He exercises it through and by deception. And as a result of deception, the God of forces brings death to man. God declares that this God of forces comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy John 10, verse 10. Unlike the true God, Jehovah God, who generates and gives and brings life, the God of forces brings death. His motivation is toward death, not life. The power which he wields through death is accomplished by and through the force of his persuasiveness within the minds of deceived men. One of the aspects of the God of forces is the force he can bring to bear upon men through deceiving them in their minds as regards the fact of death. Yet, it is a force. Death is a force. It's a force because the God of forces moves men to do death, to bring death, the force of death, upon each other. Men do this, bring the force of death upon one another, because of the ability of the God of forces to deceive them into practicing death exalting it, creating methods for its practice, violence, murder, war, things like that. Death, then, as a social practice among men, is a force. It is one of the forces of the God of forces. It is a stronghold. Daniel 11, verses 38-39. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Of imagination which has been erected in the minds of men, which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Don't be flummoxed by the charge that death is a social practice among men. This idea is the same as the truth found concerning death in Revelation 6, 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with a sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Friends, this is the Covenanters' Call. We appreciate you tuning into the broadcast this evening. Let me remind you that we would certainly love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State 
Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can drop me an email. The Muggy On, T H E M O G O L L O N, at C L E A N I N T E R dot net. That's the Muggy On at Clean Enter dot net. Or give us a phone call. That number here is 812-653-5578. Let me remind you to please be in prayer for little Helen Rose. I know that her mom and dad and her four siblings would appreciate that very much. She's in treatment right now as we speak in the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Be praying for our friend Shelby over there in the Strasburg, PA area. Uh, dear friend of my wife and I, we've known this couple for probably 40 years. And appreciate your prayers for her. Then continue to pray for Brother Shea Carpenter, pastor of Faith Baptist Church there in Edderville, Missouri. Had that chimney collapse and crush his left hand. Went through a five-hour surgery last night. Seems to be doing pretty well and probably home this evening. I appreciate you tuning into the broadcast. Thank you guys for being there into the chat room. Always an encouragement there. I encourage you to continue to listen to American Voice Radio this evening. More great programming coming up. And if you stay listening long enough, you will hear the melodious voice of the infamous individual that runs American Voice Radio, Mr. Frank Steffen. And there's just no radio voice in all the radio realm that compares to his voice. Well, friends, it's time for me to go. I encourage you to tune in next week as we continue the study on America's descent into tyranny. I pray God's blessing upon you, and I think I'm hearing the music now. Our time is up. So until we meet you again on the airwaves, may God bless you as our prayer. You folks, have a great evening. Have a good night. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. October, year of our Lord, 2016. You know, we're down in the 10th month of the year already. They do fly. You know, know, everybody understands this, but it's always amazing how much quicker the years go as you get old. I mean, they have to be moving at least twice as fast as they were when I was younger and maybe four times as fast. All you can do is kind of hang on, throw your arms up in the air and just say, yee! Yay! It's like riding a roller coaster or Six Flags or something. Uh, Hang on tight and enjoy yourself. Um, Give you my disclaimer first. I'm a man made in God's image, as for Genesis 1 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as for the second sentence of what we call the Declaration of Independence. Proper name, let's see if I can remember it and say it correctly. The Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. That's the actual title of the document we call the Declaration of Independence. 
the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Um, again, endowed by my creator with certain unalienable rights, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas, a member state of the perpetual union styled the United States of America. I have repeatedly pledged my allegiance to the United States of America. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. I'm acting at arm's length. I deny that I voluntarily agreed to act as fiduciary surety for the government of the United States. That's probably redundant insofar as I say I'm acting at arm's length. Uh, insofar as I say I'm acting at arm's length, that is a denial that I'm acting in a fiduciary capacity. Um, but I would be, but the disclaimer, the seventh point, my disclaimer, uh, deny that I've assumed the obligation of surety for the government of the United States. That's probably still reasonable and valid. My co-host is Frank Steffen. Well, Frank, how's it going, Al? Can't complain. Sure you can. Ready for another big night of uh, intellectual discussion on the news and things legal and political and interesting? Sure. Hey, uh, it beats those lame debates. Well, we got another one. When is the next debate? Uh, hmm, I'm not sure exactly, but it's soon. Yeah, I know. It's this I week, think I believe. It. Tomorrow. Is it, is it I tomorrow night? Tomorrow, yeah. I think it is. Well, it's a good thing we're not <laughs> we're not having our program tomorrow night, or everybody would have tuned in to us instead of the debates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that? it. Did you get the list of topics I sent you? Not as of yet. I'm having a little computer uh, thing. Uh, and you need you need a new hand crank? Is that what it is? Or new squirrels? Something? Uh huh. New squirrel? You just, you need oh no! I have, a, I have a big time computer. I have squirrels. Well, I'm just going to have to read it to so you. It's then. a quad core. You know, I have four squirrels. Four squirrels? Yeah. Are they squirrels or chipmunks? Oh, see. You know, I couldn't afford the chipmunks. Chip and Dale, and uh, I don't know who the other two would be, but four chipmunks. <laughs> anyway, You I'm probably do have a chipmunk in there, even if you think you got squirrels. You probably got Dale is mixed up with the squirrels, and that's what's causing the problem. All right. Now, here I have the uh, the topics. Okay, if you get down, I've got a series of questions here. There were a couple of them. Two questions and a certain amount of feedback and comments from listeners. And something we should be doing all along and we haven't been. It's not a bad idea. If you have any questions you'd like Frank and I to cover, drop me an email at alfredadisk at yahoo.com. All right? And you'll hear what kind of questions we're talking about tonight. You'll see what we're doing, you know. And we'll we'll try to get to them. Don't guarantee that we will. Uh, if you ask us, what's the square root of minus one? I I don't think I'll answer that. You can send that to Frank's program. Frank might try to answer it, but I won't. I'll just tell you um, five. Five? Yeah, I don't know if it's right or not. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. Well, it doesn't matter. Just you feel good about yourself. Well, it's an answer. Now that you've answered five. That's what's important in new math. You have to it it has to enhance your sense of self esteem. Yeah, well that that five always does it for me. Five? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Okay. Five. All right, all right. Yeah. It's easy That's to multiply. Just... It's 
It's a good number. Uh, good number, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's uh, the right answer, but hey, nobody said it had to be right answer. Just answer. Well, that's, that's one of the things about it. You know, the questions, the questions may be right, but the answers, maybe not. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that all the questions are right, but I'm saying they they start out and they could be right, and then the questions, that's just a little more subjective. Maybe they're right, maybe they're not. Uh, but in any case, our question one begins on page four. Okay, got it. Okay. Uh, let me see who sent this. Stan identifies himself as Stan. He says, hi, Alfred, in your opinion, could I, as a fiduciary for a legal fiction, the all caps name, could I contract with someone else to be a surety for the all caps name? I'm going to read the whole email here before we get into answers and the rest of it. We'll break it down then into sections. He goes on, he says, suppose a cause, and what he's talking about. He's talking about an idea that we have explored on this program, and it's the idea that the all uppercase name, Alfred N. Addis, spelled in all uppercase letters, identifies, we suspect that it identifies an entity other than me, the living man whose proper name is Alfred Addisk, capitalized. Not all uppercase, capitalized, meaning just the first letter of each of those two names is uppercase. Now, some people have uh, referred to that uppercase name as a straw man. Now, uh, yeah, does, and there may be, I know it can be in a state. Mm -hmm. You take a walk in a cemetery and I don't know that anyone is going to see a name on a headstone in a cemetery that's not spelled in all uppercase letters. I think it's the estate. After you pass on, this is the estate that's left over. I think that the all uppercase name can identify an artificial entity. It might be able to identify some sort of a uh, uh, an estate. I'm, I, there may be multiple explanations for the all uppercase name. And you have to understand that and recognize that possibility because otherwise one of us is going to be arguing that it's absolutely positively in a state and the other one is saying, no, it's an artificial entity and that but, there could, and, and you can't agree on it. Well, let me, you can't let me, agree, it's not your proper name. Right, and that's what I was going to get to. It doesn't really matter what it is. It, all that really matters is that it's not me. Well, that's not me. My name is in proper case, you know, with a capitalization. It's capitalized. It's the first letter of each name is capitalized, and the rest of the letters are lowercase. And who else is to say? I mean, honestly, if, if I tell you, it's like if you go, uh, well, okay, my name's Frank. All right, and you decide, uh, well, I'm going to call you Funk. Well, that's not right. Why? Because I say it's not right. It's my name. You'll say it the way I tell you to say it, or it is not my name. Same way with the spelling. If I tell you that's not my name, that's yeah. not how I represent my name. That is not my name. Who are you to say, yes, it is? No, it isn't. I'm, it's my name. I'm telling you that's not it. Who, who can argue? And how do you make that argument effectively? And what I'm getting to is I think the way you do it is by simply, I don't respond to that name. Right. All right. But the truth is, people have nicknames. 
And uh, you can call people, I mean, President Bush was famous, Jr., was famous for calling people. He'd call people, identified somebody as Stretch. He gave them a name. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't guy's name. He called him Stretch. He had, you know, whatever names rang his bell when he was talking to people. Yeah, didn't he have a nickname, too? Uh, wasn't it a turd bottle or something? A... <laughs> It I think it was SOB. I don't yeah, well, remember. No, that's just what you know. A lot of people yeah. out here called him. But well, a lot of people said that was his. A lot of people turd, said that was Turd his. Blossom. I that was his name. I, that was his nickname. His nickname. Well, some people mm-hmm. called him that. It was not favorable, and they probably didn't call it that to his face. But Turd Blossom. Yeah. Well, uh, what can I say? But this name thing is strange, and. We suspect that when you see, we know that, so far as I know, virtually every government document that includes your name includes the all upper, the, the, you, a name that you identify with, includes an all uppercase name. Your driver's license, for example, your bank accounts, um, your social security number. Now, there's some exceptions on this, but they are relatively rare. I don't think they amount to more than a fraction of a percent. I could be corrected, but I don't think they amount to more than a fraction of a percent, and I think they are more likely to be errors than than matters of policy. But the government routinely, your driver's license has this all uppercase name, and it looks like yours, and if I had a driver's license, it might say Alfred N. Addis, all uppercase on there. And when the cop comes up and he says, are you Alfred Addis? Are you Alfred N. Addis? And I say, yeah, that's me. Well, great. You've just identified as this entity with the all uppercase name, or you've identified in the sense that you represent this entity with the all uppercase name, um, and maybe that's hazardous to your health. Maybe you don't want to identify, and part of the reason, now it may be that what we're trying to say here is a certain amount of conspiracy theory, that it's not that big a deal, and it's just some crazy idea, and it's harmless whether they spell it capitalized or all uppercase, or some letters are uppercase, and some are lowercase, and some are size 9 points for the font, and some are point uh, 15 uh, uh, for the font. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. We just saw the letters are more, and maybe not even in sequence correctly. The truth is it does matter. And one of the things that's important there, from my perspective, is that down here in Texas, they have law. And I don't remember the name of it. But the government, state government for Texas specifies in the law what the teachers must teach each year in our grade schools and high schools. Right? you got to teach this, 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 and this. Well, we are required by law... <clears throat> Excuse me. To to learn the difference between a proper name and a common name, a proper noun and a and a common noun, it's required by law that you know what it means when something is capitalized. It is required by law that you are taught to recognize a proper name which is capitalized, and it could be Chicago. It could be the city of Chicago. The words are capitalized. They're not all uppercase. That's the proper noun. That's the proper name. We are required to recognize that format. 
It's you know, the classic. I don't know how to, the, when I was a kid, they used the Dick and Jane series of books to teach us how to read and write when first grade, second grade, third grade. And they had a dog named Spot. See Spot, run. Run, Spot, run, Spot, run. See Spot, see Spot, run. Blah, blah, blah. Okay? But the thing about it is Spot's name was spelled capital S, lowercase p, lowercase o, lowercase t. We know the Spot was the dog because... It had an uppercase. It had, it had an uppercase. It was capitalized. The first letter was uppercase. That tells us it's the dog. We're not talking about a spot on your clothing. Right. A proper name. If it was lowercase, it would not be a proper noun. It would not be a proper name. <clears throat> and it could see run, see spot run. Well, let's maybe spill some, you know, some ink on your shirt, and then the ink is running down there, and we can say, well, see the spot run. But if we say C spot run and it's capitalized, okay, we have a proper noun and we are talking about the dog or some other entity well, named spot. I, you know, I, you know, the, okay, I got my conspiracy hat on and uh, I, <laughs> I look at law. It won't work unless it's made out of tin foil. It, you know that, don't well, you? Well, aluminum foil nowadays, but yeah. Mm. Thing is, when when states make laws like that. What that says to me is now you are deemed to know this. Yeah. Whether Presumed. They, whether they spent five minutes <clears throat> fulfilling their obligation under the law to teach you that. Okay, everybody, listen. Uh, hey, here's capitalization. Uh, that's it. Now we're on to uh, social agendas here. And uh, and you, know, you, you right that. now, having been through that education, you are presumed to know that when right. they put that all uppercase name on there, I'm going to guess that one of the, the they're going to presume that you should know. We're not talking about you, the living man or woman. We're talking about some entity other than yourself. And you, knowing that, you're here anyway. Yeah. You're not objecting, so you must yeah. be agreeing to be the fiduciary for this entity. Mm-hmm. You're representing it. We sent a letter in the mail that was addressed to Alfred N. Addis, all uppercase letters. And you answered it. You opened the mail. I mean, it's illegal for you to open mail that's not addressed to you. So if you opened it up, we're not going to presume you acted criminally, but we are going to presume that you represented, you acted as a fiduciary for the all-uppercase entity, and you opened the mail on its behalf. And in doing so, you have supported the presumption that you are acting on its behalf. You represent it. And that now what you can do is if you're being sued or you're being taken to court, you can hire an attorney. And you think you're tying hiring the attorney to represent you. But maybe not. If this notion that the uppercase name identifies an entity other than yourself and is something you are presumed to represent then you could pass that off, and you could say, okay, Mr. Attorney, um, why don't you represent Alfred well, and Addis, and I'll just sit over here on the sidelines and see what happens. Well, that'd be okay if the attorney was going to go to jail uh, uh, instead of you. But I think I think the, the attorney is representing you. I think, I think he, he is, is representing the fiduciary of some sort of trust that, you know, is undisclosed because it doesn't have to be. And, uh, I think he's you know, representing it because it 
This entity with the all uppercase name is the defendant. Assuming this whole well, that's true. But if your theory is valid it, in the first place, the assumption is the defendant is the upper entity with the uppercase name. Now, maybe it means maybe it means me, maybe it doesn't. But assuming it meant something other than me, that's a defendant. And when I and it and if it's a fiction, it can't appear unless someone represents it. Right, and somewhere right. along the line, they also presume you are putting yourself up as surety for anything that. Oh, we decided that's that something you have additional. To, you that's have something to to additional being to being the fiduciary. Fiduciary is just form, performing what I think of as something like secretarial or administrative services. Yes, I will. I will answer the letters that were addressed to Alfred N. Haddisk. Yes, I'll open that mail. Yes, I will make sure that the checkbook is balanced for Alfred N. Addisk, and I'll pay the utilities that are charged to Alfred N. Addisk and the rest of that sort of thing. And as fiduciary, that's my job, to see that these bills are paid and the administrative proceedings take place. But I am not liable for Alfred N. Addisk's debts. I may be responsible for filling out the forms and writing the check that's charged to its bank account. Right, the bank account's name Alfred N. Addis, all uppercase. That's not my money in the bank account. That's its money. But I am acting as its fiduciary. I'm acting as its secretary or administrator. And I say, okay, I'm filling out a check on behalf of the entity with the all uppercase name. Now, I'm not telling anybody that this is true. I'm just saying we are exploring that possibility, and I'm inclined to believe it's true. Well, I think, no. I, I, you know, through all this... Now, and- here's what's interesting. Wait a second. Here's where, where it gets interesting. You hire that attorney. Say, so, well, you need to hire an attorney. Yeah, okay. Hire the attorney to do what? Hire the attorney to represent it. All right? You think he's representing you. I don't think he is. Now, I may be mistaken, but I don't think he's representing you. He's representing it. So what are you doing there? You're the guy who said, when the judge says, do you understand the charges? You're and the- you thought the judge said, meant, you think he's meant, do you comprehend, do you, do you, uh, you, know, do you perceive, recognize, comprehend uh, as an intellectual process? Do you comprehend the charges? He said, oh yeah, I understand the charges, your honorableness. But we suspect that it's when you say you understand the charges, it's at that point you are elevated from the status of a mere fiduciary. You're accepting to be the surety because you're now saying, you're I saying I am. I will take. I will pay personally pay whatever penalties imposed on the entity. I think that's because they can't true. put the fiction in the in the slammer. I think that's but true. You can say, yeah, I'll do it. You can put me in jail. You can find me. Because they always make a very uh, a point, and I've I've sat through my own and enough other people's court proceedings to know that they make it make sure every single time they ask that, do you do understand? you understand the charges? Yeah, yeah. I I cannot remember any court cases I've ever seen that they do not ask that. I've told you before that when I was hauled up to Missouri, put in a level five maximum security jail for most of a year, that at one point I met with one of the judges and relatively early on, and he asked if I understand the charges, and I did not understand 
I did not. I knew there was something important about understanding the charges. I didn't understand it to the extent I think I understand it today. But I said, no, I don't understand the charges. What do you don't understand? Well, blah, blah, blah. He said, I think you understand the charges. I said, no, I don't understand the charges. He said, I think you understand the charges. I said, I do not understand the charges. He said, I think you understand the charges. I said, and they have the bailiff hauling me out of this courtroom while the judges said, I think you understand the charges. I said, I do not understand the charges. I'm hollering. I don't understand the charges as we go down the hallway. All right? Now, the point is, you know, there's something going on there. Why is that judge arguing with me? I, I don't know exactly what happened, but why is he going through this arguing with me, presumably some pro se idiot, and I say, I don't understand the charges. I think you do. I mean, this went back and forth a number of times. Sure. What's the big deal? I, mean, you know, I understand. Okay, I don't understand. I'll explain yeah. it to you. Whatever, yeah. you know, but no. Yeah. He's like, I think you do, you know. <laughs> oh, really? What's the big deal here? What, what, what's so hard about you understanding and comprehending that I don't understand the charges? You know. And, well, here's the next, here's the next yeah. wrinkle on this thing. Again, what are you doing there? If you've hired an attorney to represent it, and he's not representing you, he's representing this, this fictional entity, this estate, whatever it is. He's representing the entity with the all uppercase name. If that's true, what are you long for? And you're there as a surety. You're the one, if he doesn't get it off, all right, if he doesn't win the case and the, and the defense say, yay, found not guilty, okay. But if it is found guilty, you are there as a sacrificial goat, and you're the one who is going to make, pay, make good on the fine. Because well, you said, I'll be the surety for it. They can't do anything to it. Well, and, they can't and put them in jail. Regardless of whether, you know, your, your position is right and they're, you know, the attorney is representing it, or my view that the attorney is representing you, who is basically the fiduciary for it, uh, either way, I've come to the conclusion that, and, and at first, the first couple times I actually saw somebody do this, I thought it was ridiculous because, well, they didn't do it right and they didn't really know what they were saying. They just, somebody told them, say this, and they did, and then when they were challenged on it, it, it got stupid, right? But I think it is important to understand and state when you are finding yourself in a situation like that to say, look, huh. I am not the surety for anything, and I am yeah. not the fiduciary for anybody, and uh, yeah. we don't have yeah. any... Yeah, that's why I do... I'm acting at arm's length. It is a denial that I'm acting in a fiduciary capacity. Right. I'm not representing anybody when I do this program. All right, I'm here, and if you got a beef with me, it's going to be based on either I did express damages to you one way or the other, or there's a contract that you could complain about. Say, walk at us, because he's the, the co-signatory on this contract. You can't get him under a trust obligation, but we could get him under a contract because he signed his name right here. I haven't signed my name. There isn't anybody listening to this program that has a contract with me. Huh? No, me either. Well, I, and, and so the obligation, the point is to stay away. First objective is to stay away from that, in my opinion. All right, again, I know it sounds crazy. I guarantee if there's anybody just tuned into the program <laughs> for the first time, they're going to say, these people are crazy. 
<laughs> Somebody go get a net because these guys got well, some really goofy ideas. And like, I, but it's like not I, something that happened just in the last six months. Well, We've been playing with this idea since the late 1990s. Sure. We've been exploring this idea for 20 years. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, and the first couple of times I saw it, you know, somebody say that, I looked, at, you know, okay, that sounds good, but then the judge had questions. And the person had no answers. Yeah. Because they didn't understand yeah. what they were talking about. They didn't they know parroted. what surety was. They didn't mm-hmm. know what a fiduciary was. They didn't yep. know these things. They just said what they were told to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, that, that I have never seen. Well, yeah, I have seen that work actually a couple times. But it's rare. And if they decide to challenge you, it, it won't work. If, unless you understand what you're doing. And I, I sat there. I didn't know. Hey, I didn't know what it all meant either. So I'm I'm listening to it, and I'm going, ooh, that sounds pretty good. And then the judge asked, and I'm thinking, yeah, I want to know that too. And then there's no answers, and I'm thinking, idiot, this is bogus. This is crap. You know, this is this is just some more, you know, patriot nonsense. You know that. But when you learn, okay, well, what does that all mean? And you go, wow. Hey, what that guy said was right, but he just didn't understand what he was saying, so he couldn't explain it, and the judge yeah. made him look like an idiot, twisted him around, and boom, you're over. It's it's not easy when you're st- when you if you are unfortunate enough or made mistakes or whatever to end up in court. Uh, it gets hard. They make it difficult. You know, they're, oh, yeah, they're, absolutely. You know. And it's the sort of thing where you imagine you're going into court and the judge will at least be fair and impartial. <laughs> he is not your enemy. That's what most people suppose. Yeah, until <laughs> they go. Dream on. Dream on. <laughs> you are delusional. You understand? Till your first We're going to have to send you off to a mental health facility for a tune-up. Well, and they do that because, you know, and I've seen that happen, too. You mean get sent off for a tune-up? Yeah, not me, but I I watched somebody else get, you're you're getting a mental evaluation. Yeah, I know. And the reason why, uh, and, you know, people can say, oh, well, it's still not right. Well, it may not be right, but this is how they do it. You say things, the judge questions you, you don't have any viable answers, but you continue on. And you just keep repeating what you said, what you've been told to say. That's the situation I saw somebody get tuned up, is because, you know what, you said something, I asked you a question, you have no idea what you're talking about, and now you're continuing to say it. Okay, this goes to a classic example, a definition of insanity. To keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Uh, Look, you said that, I asked you a question, you don't have any answers, now you're saying it again. Uh, we're going to have to send you for mental evaluation because you might be insane. Well, here's another one. Here's another way that, in theory, it crosses my mind that the judge might be interpreting. Suppose the the case against you has developed and the judge says, do you understand the charges? And you have one way or another said yes. Mm-hmm. Or they just sent a subpoena out or whatever and said you have to be here at 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday the 19th. And you showed up. Well, you're acting as fiduciary for the for the for the fictional entity, what we think of as a fictional entity. And yet, if you get there, 
you may be arguing that you have certain rights under, say, the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights or your state constitutions. I have certain rights. So what? Who cares? You're not the defendant. Right. You volunteered. It is presumed that you volunteered to be the fiduciary, and you're still sitting up here and arguing. So, wow. <laughs> you may have been unwittingly you volunteered to be the fiduciary, but still, if you continue to argue that you're entitled to certain rights and you don't have to appear and whatever, if you have allowed the presumption to exist that you are representing it, the fictional estate with the all uppercase name, and you're saying, but you're wasting the judge's time. He can sit back there and say, look, this guy's crazy. It's like me arguing that you can't charge me with, uh, with, with speeding because I'm a, a Chicago Bear fan. <laughs> this is irrelevant. We don't care if you're a Chicago Bear fan. That's nice for, you, nice for you. But what's it got to do with this fictional entity? Which brings us to another point. Why would the government want the defendant to be a fictional entity rather than a flesh and blood man or woman? Well, my idea is that because the government is a fictional entity and it can only deal with fictional entities. <clears throat> That's one way to look at it, but another way is this. The fictional entity only has whatever rights government gives it. The fictional entity has no standing to claim the God-given unalienable rights that are found in the Declaration of Independence and are backed up by the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution, or at least in my opinion, they're, they're accessible through that Ninth Amendment. Okay, yeah. A man or woman has infinitely more rights than a legal fiction. Sure. And, that, and you know, I think that's the reason. If we can get you to appear on behalf of the legal fiction, we can find the fiction guilty easily because it doesn't have the rights that were uh, the the rights that we find referenced in the in the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, for example. They're not intended for fictions, or at least not in most instances. They're intended for men and women. They're intended for the people. Right. But if we can get you to appear on behalf of a fiction, and we can find the fiction which has no meaningful rights, we can easily find it guilty. And then if we can get you to act as surety for that fiction, then guess what? We can throw you you in the slammer. Now, I've got a serious question. Uh, oh, it was, I knew it would happen sooner or later. I thought it was just going to be <laughs> funny light games, and humorous yeah. throughout the program, but yeah, now no, you're getting no, this serious. This is serious because, you know... This is actually out there, and a lot of people say, well, when you get these things in the mail, you know, that tell you to be here, or do this, or whatever, just ignore it, throw it in the can, uh, you know, it's not you, it's not your name, blah, 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 just throw it away. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I can tell you, if you do that, they will come and get you, Yeah. and they won't come and get the fictional entity, they will come and get you. So, my question is, while I comprehend and, and agree with the fact that, okay, this is, you know, th this is not you, this is not, you know, what are you doing here? If you're not going to be surety and the, uh, you know, and the fiduciary, why are you here even? Uh, exactly. However, if you What's don't... What's the answer to that question? If you don't show up, though, yep. when they command you, yep. you've got a world of trouble coming your way. So... I get you. What is the, what is the salute? What would, what would you do? In a situation like that, where okay, well, there's a 
There's a couple of ways of looking at this, and, and you can go a couple of different directions on this. But one of the things that you can do is a special appearance. Right. I'm here for special appearance. Why? Challenge jurisdiction. Why? I am not the entity charged. It's not my proper name, number one. And number two, I do not represent. I have not voluntarily agreed to act as fiduciary and or surety for this entity. And I'm here to say, uh, whatever you got, if you want to try it, try it. I don't care. No sweat off my nose, you know, no skin off my nose, but I'm here to make sure that you don't confuse me with it. I think that, that would be I, one approach. I think, that's a, I think that is a good approach. Yeah. I do. I, I mean, you know. Because it's the purpose of special appearances to contest jurisdiction, and you're essentially saying, look, I'm not the guy. You got, the, you got a mistaken identification. You don't have personal jurisdiction over me because this isn't me you're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, that's not my name. That's not my proper name. This can't be me. And I don't represent it, and whatever or whoever that is, I do not represent it. All right? And I think you could probably accomplish a similar result. They send you paperwork. They send paperwork to the all uppercase name. I think you could send it back and say with with some sort of a note that essentially says I I am uh, no such no such man lives at this address and uh, I do not represent no one here represents that entity. You could perhaps send that mail back to him with that and see what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I'll tell you what, again, when I went up there to, to uh, Missouri for almost a year, they couldn't prosecute me. They thought there was going to be a slam dunk. They couldn't, and that was the grace of God, all right? because they wanted to extradite me from Dallas, Texas. I was, they had me in the, in the county jail at Dallas, Texas. And they wanted to extradite me from there up to Missouri. And I refused, and they wanted me to sign a waiver of extradition. And I wouldn't sign it because it had an all-uppercase name on it. And the extradition officer, he sat down, he came over, he said, now look, hey, we got a problem here. We, need, we can hold you for 180 days here, you know, waiting on them, unless you agree to a waiver of extradition. I didn't want to wait 180 days in loose stirrups. Dallas, Texas. I didn't spend six months of my life in that place. I didn't want that. But I was still fishing. I was What I was doing was a learning exercise. I told them, look, I just can't go along with this because I have this idea that the all uppercase name identifies as a fiction rather than a living man. And he told me, well, it's just our computers because everything on the document was all uppercase. All right. The, when it said, uh, when it made its allegations and claims, every word was all uppercase. They said, well, we have old computers and it can't write in lowercase. And I refused to accept it and they threw me back in my cell. And they came back a couple days later and they wanted another go and we'd see if, I think we went through this three times. Man, and I've heard that whole old computer. Yeah, computers. I know what a bunch of crap that is. <laughs> Who has a computer that only writes in all uppercase letters today because it's old? I mean, I could see if you're going, well, you know, I've only got these chisels that do capital letters. Yeah, right. Phone, That's but, uh, so you know. much nonsense. <laughs> but the guy ran it at me, and I don't sit there and tell him, you're an idiot. You know, I just said, okay, I'll go along with it. Uh, but I still have my problem here. Well, they came back on the third time, 
and the, and the extradition officer. It's his job to get me to and others to agree to be extradited, so they don't have to go through these, these extradition hearings. In order to do that, he said, "I tell you what, I'll do. I'd already signed at arm's length, or I was already prepared to sign at arm's length above my signature." Well, if I signed the waiver of extradition saying I'm not acting as a fiduciary, all by itself, that would have thrown a monkey wrench into the situation. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. And he said he wrote under my signature line. He said, proper name, quote, Alfred Addisk, capitalized, unquote. All right, he didn't say capitalized, of course, but the proper name said proper name, Alfred Addisk, capitalized. And then he said, also known as, a.k.a., meaning alias, Alfred N. Addisk, in quotes, all uppercase. I looked at that and I said, my God, it's brilliant. I mean, it was like the good Lord was talking to me. I wouldn't have thought of that. I certainly didn't think of that on my own at that time, and I don't know if I would ever have thought of it. But the truth is, by arguing that and, he signed that, and I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll sign that. Because here we are establishing that the all uppercase name is merely an alias for my proper name. Now, I go along with that. That's fine with me because all, all I want to do is be able to appear in court in the capacity of a man made in God's image who's endowed by his creator with certain unalienable rights. It doesn't mean that I'll necessarily win, but if I'm going in that capacity, I'm good to go. Well, yeah, and if this just, entity is only an alias, it's not a legal fiction. It's not some entity other than myself. It's just me, but uh, being called by a little different name. It's like you're talking about being called Frank. Right. right. It might not be your name, but uh, what the hell? Maybe you go along with it, maybe you don't. The deal is, Frank, as long as Frank is still a living man, right. that's the point. He has those God-given unalienable rights. The fiction does not. When they say it's merely an alias for my proper name, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, buddy, I'm ready to go with this. And the extradition officer didn't know what he was doing. I'm sure. Well, but he knew what he that, was doing. I thought it well. opened up a whole, and I can swear to that, and I can swear, even though I don't believe the all uppercase name is my name, I can swear that it is, that it is an alias. Why? Because I guarantee you, pull out a driver's license and show it to everybody on the jury, and they're going to look at it and say, is that my name? And they're going to see the picture, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's your name, Alfred N. Addisk. They won't realize that it's all uppercase. They won't realize that it's not my proper name. And therefore, they will say that is my alias. See, this would be a lot easier if they issued driver's licenses and just said, well, yeah, your name is Alfred, uh, you know, a desk, but we're going to call you Bob on this license here. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a lot easier. And then, yeah, well, people know me as Bob, and, uh, you know, it's an alias. Now, the thing about it is once you declare that this is my merely my alias, and I know I can tell a jury, and the jury will agree to say, yeah, that's his name. It means everybody on the jury is going to say that even though it's not my proper name. They're going to look at the driver's license and say that's my name. The jury believes it's my alias. Right? Even though I could tell them, look, my proper name is capitalized, Alfred Adisk. Uppercase letter first, and then lowercase for the balance of the letters in each one of the names. I can tell that to the jury. The jury would understand that. 
And I could tell them that this all uppercase name is, uh, is merely an alias because people think that's my name. And people do think that's my name. I don't think so, but others do. I can testify. I can swear with a completely clean conscience that it is an alias. It's not my name. My opinion. It's not. It's certainly not my proper name, but other people call me that. Just like my grandmother used to call me Butch when I was a little kid. Right, I didn't raise a fuss about that. It usually meant that there was some graham crackers and milk coming my way, or maybe some homemade bread and homemade jelly. I mean, yippee, boy. Count me in. You know? But if the alias, that argument, once I make that argument, and as it turns out, it was written by the extradition officer under my name, under my signature on the, on the waiver of extradition, which was subsequently signed by the judge in the court and sealed by the court clerk, now I've got the system is telling everybody, hey, this is this is alias. This isn't his name. This is just an alias. And when they came down to extradite me, the idiot they sent, they didn't read this stuff. He wouldn't understand it if he did. No, he they, they, you know, their Dallas job up to like, Missouri and under and they I got there and all of a sudden said, son of a bitch, this guy is here in the capacity of a man. He's not acting as a fiduciary. He's not a surety. What are we going to do? And they held me for 344 days. Nobody, I didn't have brains enough to know how to get out, and they didn't have brains enough to know how to proceed against me, and eventually they just threw me out. Well, and like Check. you said, that, that officer, he knew what he was doing. He was getting you extradited. Yeah, he but he thought he was extraditing the entity no. rather than, he didn't even think that. He no, didn't but even think he that. thought. But he took me with paperwork that said, I, that, that all uppercase name is just my alias. There's but, no entity here. But he, his job, was to get you extradited. Yeah. And he did what he had to do to do that. What do you want? Yeah, I get that. Okay, but when I'm they got there, there, when I got up there, all of a sudden, somebody had to look at this thing. And, and so I said, what the hell is this? This guy, we don't have an artificial entity here. We just have an alias. Completely different system. And now we're dealing with a man who's got a number of different names. That's his alias. They could have called me, you know, uh, I don't know, Scarface. Scarface Al Addis. It's not my name. It's my alias. Huh? That's what this is. And once you make this argument, if you understand it, it puts the other side in a position where somebody's got to come up and say, well, <laughs> Mr. Addis, you know that's not your name. You know that that's the name of an entity other than yourself. <laughs> How are they going to run that argument past the jury? And you also How know. How are they going to run that argument? They have, they have. Now they're the lunatics that have right. to stand up in front of the jury and say, huh. I mean, you can imagine the prosecutor being in a position where he says, well, Mr. Adelsk, you have to understand and agree that this all uppercase name, that's not really you. And the jury is going to sit there and say, say what? You mean the name on my driver's license? That's not me? And then the really prosecutor case. can inform everybody that, oh, but... You are the fiduciary and surety for that name. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that the jury will love hearing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll go over. I, got, I mean, I don't care how many years they give me. <laughs> I, want to see the, I want to see the prosecutor who can make that argument where the jury doesn't start to look at him like he's the one who's lost his mind. Yeah. Now, let's suppose that I'm wrong. Let's suppose that the all-uppercase name does not identify... 
an entity, an artificial entity, some sort of a legal fiction that has no meaningful rights. Let's suppose that's not true, that's complete nonsense, and really, the all uppercase name is just an alias for the proper name. In both cases, they're still talking about me. Okay, I'm going to go with that. That's all I want. All I want is I want to be the defendant who is there as a man made in God's image who's endowed by his creator with certain unalienable rights um, as for the Declaration of Independence. I'm there, fine. Maybe I win, maybe I lose, but they have to deal with me in that capacity. And I'm willing to go. You want well, to go in that capacity? Sue me. And like you, me like you mentioned, you got to be able to make the argument and comprehend what you're saying and be yep. able to explain it, even if not, it's not a jury. You've got to be able, because the judge will challenge you. Oh, yeah. And you've got to be able to say, okay, here's here's the deal, and explain it in a way that he understands. <clears throat> he doesn't have to understand everything you're saying. He just has to understand that you understand it. Yeah, I know. Which, why, why, does, why is that an issue? Well, you know, for a lot of issues, I mean, you know, because if they if it moves on, you know, you've got the jury issue. Because if you can explain stuff to the jury, that's going to be bad for them. Well, there's another point besides that. If you really understand this issue and it goes beyond the trial court, you're liable to make some precedential law. All right, and all of a sudden, a, a chunk, you all maybe knock county out of the racket. All right. They don't want this little, assuming we are correct, this is not an argument that they want to face. Ooh, Especially in front of a jury. They can't explain themselves in front of a jury. They can operate on presumptions that nobody says, and virtually no one understands other than the judge and maybe the prosecutor. But they don't want to deal with us. So I'm just being reasonable. You know, I'm not there to yell and scream at these people. I get a little excited doing the radio program, but I guarantee you I will be, you know, I'm not going to be shaking my fist and hammering on the table or something, you know, whatever. I'm just, just a guy just showing up and just saying, look, this is my alias. It's not another entity. That's crazy talk. What do you think? That just sounds like some sort of talk from <laughs> some lunatic patriot or some damn thing. I'm just saying it's an alias. You're not one now, of them. Mr. Prosecutor, do you want to argue it's not? You're not one of them sovereign citizens, are you, Judge? Oh, heaven <laughs> forbid, you know. Are you, Judge? You don't believe that, do you, Judge? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you kind of flip the tables on them. Yeah. Put them in the position where they've either got to prove that uh, the, the real defendant is an, some sort of an entity that has no meaningful rights. And can only be, and one other thing, one other thing about an entity, a legal fiction, is it capable of intent? No. That's right. All they have to prove to convict an entity, an artificial entity, is conduct. Did certain things happen under the authority or name of this entity? And if they did, intent is irrelevant. It, the, the artificial fiction has, the artificial entity has no capacity for intent. It means you can't get them for a crime. You can get them for a penal offense. You can get them for mere conduct. And it's not hard to prove conduct. It's very hard to prove intent. If you're dealing with a man uh, who is charged with a particular criminal offense, if it's a criminal offense, not a penal offense, criminal offense, you've got to prove he had intent. A man can have an in have intent. A fiction can't. 
and so far as I'm able to see, intent is at least it's at least been trivialized, and it's been the need to prove intent. I, there's somewhere there's some laws where they still talk about intent. Well, unless uh, you're Hillary Clinton, and uh, yeah. uh, you know Comey is the one in charge, uh, then intent is everything. Well, these are these are the kinds of anomalies that the courts are famous for. Yeah, they just indicating in the best interest of justice. Yeah, right. They they use whatever they they whatever's handy to them to get their way. They'll use. Oh, yeah. oh, intent never counts. It's just your actions, unless of course we want to let you off, and then well, unless you're a congressman, a senator, right. a president, of another judge, yeah, then maybe intent counts for those yeah, people. Yeah, because really very difficult to. To prove you didn't really, you didn't death. really mean to commit treason. I mean, you, doesn't matter whether you meant it or not. If you were charged in the fiction, all right? Did you cause injury, damage to the United States, the several United States? Did you give aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States? Treason, person, uh, a living man or woman? I think they have to prove intent. An entirely different level of proof. And that's why I think I think that's at least part of the reason why they want to try these legal fictions. They don't have to prove intent. And I think there's other advantages. And they don't have any significant rights uh, as a legal fiction. There are no significant rights there. So they can ignore your rights if they, the right rights you think that apply. They can ignore them if they care to. They can go along with them. They can give you the illusion of rights, but it's the difference between whether or not you have title to drive an automobile, or whether your great aunt just gave you permission to drive her car. Do you own the vehicle, or are you just acting on someone else's permission, which she can take away at any moment? Who are you? What do you have that you can claim on your own? As a man or woman who's made in God's image, endowed by your creator with certain unalienable rights, you have significant and powerful rights if you can acquire enough expertise in both how to argue these these kinds of issues and manipulate the procedure, uh, employ proper procedure to ensure you get these rights if you go to court. But if you're willing to appear, if you're willing to cooperate in the trial of a legal fiction, it's like trying, it's like the trial of a of an inflatable balloon. Uh, and Bozo the Clown, all right? All they need is a little pin. They can let the air out of that thing, and they can... The the fiction can disappear in no time at all. It has no meaningful rights. It's just a kind of dance they do. Well, and there's also, you know, there's rights on our side. There's also duty and obligation on their side. That's I right. I don't think they have the same duties and obligations to treat... Entities that presumably the government itself created, yep. they are the creator. The creator can do what they want with whatever their creation is. Exactly right. And uh, so their duties and obligations to an entity that they created is much different than their duties and obligations to a man made in the image of God. That's exactly right. Because And the creator thing is powerful and is part of the reason why I incorporated into my disclaimer at the beginning of the program. I'm a man made in God's image. I'm endowed by my creator with certain unalienable rights. I'm telling you, God is my creator. I'm not created by government. Fictions might be created by government, but the man with a proper name is created by God. And 
They can't get around that because I have a First Amendment at the federal level and a stay Article One, Section 6 of the Texas Constitution that protects my right of religious freedom. Right? They can't dance around this. I am absolutely, they can't just tell me, oh, you're not entitled to make those claims that you're a God made in God's image and it gives you anything. It's a See, fundamental principle of the Jewish and Christian faith that a man is made in God's image. You can't deny that without destroying the Jewish and Christian faith. If I'm not made in God's image, I have no God-given unalienable rights, for one thing, and for second thing, more importantly, I have no hope of salvation. Well, and it's not just, it's not just Judaism and Christianity. I mean, even the Muslims believe that God created them. I don't know what they believe for an absolute fact. I assume that's true. I, I, I'm, pre I'm prepared to operate on that assumption, but I haven't read the Koran, so I don't know how they how they actually deal with this. But this is powerful stuff, and it's protected by the First Amendment. It's protected by my freedom of religion. Yep. And it's not a small thing. It's not a thing about whether or not my girlfriend can wear a burqa or not. This goes to the heart. It's, to my mind, second most important principle in the Bible. Number one is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means as creator, he owns the whole thing. He owns everything. And he can do whatever he wants with it. Second principle, out of all of that creation, at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, there is only one creature, one being that was made in God's image, and that's mankind. And that gives us special rights that are not available to all the rest of creation. We alone are made in God's image, or at least according to the Bible. And no one can refute that legally because it's protected by the First Amendment. If we're not made in God's image, you're wasting your time going to church. Right? You're not going to be saved. You've got no special rights. You don't have any rights, unalienable rights, created but granted by your Creator, endowed by your Creator. You don't have any of that. You're just a peon, a thing, a serf, a, a human resource, a, a servant, a slave. You're nothing. But if you can make that claim, I'm a man made in God's image, and you can back it up with ultimately the First Amendment and or whatever support you can find in your own state constitution, how do they get around that, and especially in front of a jury? That's going to include some people who are Christians or jury or Jews. There may be plenty of atheists. There may be a number of atheists on the jury, but unless they've really fixed the jury, I'm going to bet you there's six or eight people there that are Christians. Well, and if you can show them, here is what this means in the Christian faith, and explain to them, look, you either stand up for this, or you admit to God that you are not you're not you're not there for him. Well, not and, just not there for me, not there for God. Where are you even, going to go? And even an atheist can be explained how the First Amendment also protects them. Yes. Because nobody is saying, okay, look, I'm a Christian, you got to be a Christian, and uh, if you're not, I'll kill you. Yeah. Uh, that's not how it works here in the United States. I mean, you know, you it's don't... It's not how it works in the Bible, either. No, you don't want to... Hey, you don't want to accept God, Genesis don't. Genesis 9, 6. Genesis 9, 6. You can read that section of the Bible, and it will tell you why you can't kill a man or woman. Mm -hmm. And they tell you it's because they're made in God's image. That's the reason murder is a crime. You can kill cows and pigs and sheep and goats and birds and cats and anything else you want to kill, but you can't kill a man, can't kill a woman. Why? Because they're made in God's image. It's a kind of blasphemy to commit murder. 
That's the reason. And if if my right to be free from being murdered, and that doesn't mean that it can't happen. I mean, the murder goes on on a regular basis. But it has been a crime because, at bottom, we are made in God's image. That's I've talked about it before. It's also part of the reason, in my opinion, Bible doesn't say this, but it's my conclusion. It's part of the reason why homosexuality is a is an abomination in God's in God's uh, in, in God's view. It's because when you are sodomizing someone, or you are allowing people to sodomize you. You are causing or allowing an image of God to be sodomized. Right? I've used this, I've talked about this a number of times in the past, but imagine you walk into a Catholic church and they have their statues of the, of the Messiah and Joseph and Mary and so on and the various saints around the walls and the rest of that, and you find some crazy guy trying to have sex with one of those images. And you say, oh my gosh, this is shocking. No, it's no big thing. It's just some idiot, some fool, some crazy guy trying to have sex with an idol, a piece of wood, some clay, whatever. But you find someone trying to sodomize a living man or woman or allowing himself to be sodomized, and now because he is made in God's image, you have no more right to sodomize that man or that woman than you do to kill him under Genesis 9-6. I think that's the reason God says homosexuality is an abomination. He, but the Bible, that's my opinion and my conclusion, the Bible doesn't say that expressly, so it's, you know, you can take all of that with salt. But this, that Genesis 9-6, it tells you how important it is. They can't kill you lawfully. Ah. Uh, you know, unless you, if you are a man made in God's image. If you're not, if you're just an animal. Just an animal. Well, we can kill you anytime we want. Have you for dinner. We can cannibalize you. Not just kill you, cannibalize you. Why not? So, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, I've said this before on the program, but I don't think, and some of you may get tired of hearing me say it, but I think it's a powerful, it's a powerful argument, and it is, in my opinion, the sort of thing that people would do well to consider and understand, perhaps through repetition. Listen, oh my God, Addisk is doing that same song and dance again about being made in God's image. I don't know when he's going to stop that. I'm going to stop it when everybody gets it. It's like Frank was saying, you must understand the arguments you're making in court. You can't just go up there and parrot. You have to understand. I'm endeavoring to help people to look at this and say, well, I don't know. Let's consider this. Let's consider this. I'm not advising anybody to believe what I say here. But I am advising that you consider it. And if you think, if you come to the conclusion that maybe this is a valid argument, then this repetition can hopefully help some of you to get to a point where push comes to shove in court, you can still be home. When the judge says, I think you understand <laughs> the charges against you, you can still, no, I do not understand the charges against me. Right? You can be hollering it from down the hallway. Well, they I, drag you off to wherever they're going to take you. I do not understand the charges. You know, and we, we've done a, at least one show on definitions, and one yeah. of the things we were doing one week was understand. And, you know, ask the judge, what do you mean by understand? Exactly. 
You know, I mean, look, I don't know. It's got several meanings. What do you mean by understand? I don't know if I do or not, because I don't know what you mean. Well, one of the things about it, technically, if you think they mean comprehend uh, when they said, do you understand the charges? They mean, do you comprehend the charges? I'm going to bet you that most licensed attorneys do not fully understand the charges in any case. How can you? That's exactly right. I mean, this is no small thing. When they're dragging you in for just a traffic violation, caught speeding, you're going 65 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. Do you really understand, comprehend all of the relevant facts and law that go into making that allegation against you? Yeah, like Where the, were you? Like the element. Where were you? The element. What date was it? Year of our Lord or a conventional or, or a secular year? Um, were you within the state of Texas or were you in the territory of Texas? Where the hell were you? Who owns the well, car? Who owns the road? There's all kinds. Are you in the right-of-way or are you, or are you on a road that's owned by a, a, a transportation truck? Well, and just simply because when you look at these tickets, and that's what you get when you have you know some sort of minor thing, you get a ticket. You don't get a big, long, all right, here's the thing. Oh, they couldn't. You get a little ticket. It's got, oh, ORS, whatever. So you go yeah. and you look it up. Oh, oh you know, you uh, change lanes without using your turn signal. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you understand the charges? No. I don't understand, because uh, this, this, this supposed instrument doesn't have any of the elements of the, of the crime here, or the infraction, or whatever. It doesn't even, what is this? You know, how can I possibly comprehend what this is when you give me a number? ORS, whatever, whatever. I don't understand. What, what does that mean? Exactly. Exactly. ORS. What does ORS mean? It means Oregon Revised Statute, but the average person doesn't know that. It says ORS 6677. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know where that is. I don't know where to find it. How could you comprehend the charges? I guarantee the whole system of law, right up to the Constitution and maybe back to the Bible, is embodied by implication in that traffic ticket. Do you? Does anyone in this program understand, comprehend, all of that information? I doubt it. I'd be very much surprised if any one person can trace or understand all of it. I don't. Of course I don't comprehend all of that. And that, and that is just using the, de- okay, fine. We'll say understand means comprehend. But what if understand hmm. means acceptance? Because yeah. that, you know, and I want to make it clear to people listening who may think, well, yeah, but that's just patriot theory. No, it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate definition of understand. You can look it up. Yes, yeah. comprehend is one. Acceptance is another. Yeah, so which one? Yeah, well, yeah. It is not unreasonable to say, no, I don't understand. I don't even understand. I'm not even, I do not comprehend. I would I would sit back and try to avoid even using the word understand. I said, I do not comprehend the charges because there are multiple definitions all right, if you're good and you've got your Black's Law Dictionary with you, if you've got one, you can say, look here, Judge, we've got for the word understand, we've got two, three, four different possible definitions. Now, I need to know before I can, before I can say if I do or I don't comprehend these charges, which one of these definitions are you using when you say, do I understand? And now we go back to the point where questions. 
See, I mm. love questions. I think questions I is, the, is the best if you can manage. And, 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 you know, if people are having a difficult time. Why? What's so good about questions? Well, because, for one, you're not making any statements. Okay? You're not. Well, here's another one. Here's another one. The people that you're questioning, most of them are just as ignorant as the patriots who come up and just parrot what they heard somebody else say. True. When you really start questioning these people, it's just like the judge questioning you to see if you know what you're talking about. When you get to a point where you can start questioning the cops and the rest of the people and who are perhaps going to testify against you, and you start questioning these people, if you've got some good questions, you can show them up. They're just as stupid as a lot of the pro se's who think, well, I can just go in there and parrot this stuff and then nobody will, nobody will challenge me. Oh, yeah, some people will. And when they do challenge you and you don't know what you're talking about, it will become abundantly apparent to everyone in the room, particularly the jury, that you be dumb. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, and you'll, and you'll realize it, too. <laughs> and it, and oh, it's, yeah. It's an uncomfortable yeah. moment when you realize uh-huh. uh, you just took that extra step and you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, and That's I, I, the I, questions I, are so know, powerful. And I'm not, I'm not proud to admit that I've done that, but I have done that. You know, because and what? Hey, what? You're not proud to admit that you've done what? Well, I've been in court and I've said things that I've heard other people say that you should oh, yeah. do this. Oh yeah, yeah, we all And then when I get right. que- questioned, I'm the uh, 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 Can you repeat that? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't know. I was just. You know, but it's it's embarrassing, and it's a it's part a, of the learning process. It's a real enlightenment when you realize yourself that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're in over your head. You don't know what you're talking about. You thought you did, but you don't. And now well, here you next, are. What's the next level of enlightenment? Well, cool, usually cooling your heels for a while in a jail no. cell. Next level of enlightenment is first you learn that you don't really know what you're talking about, and the second level, or at least another level up the uh, up the levels of enlightenment, is when you realize <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about either. That's right. Yeah. Now we got ourselves a game going on here. <laughs> idiot versus idiot. Yeah. Let's see who the who's the dumbest in the who's the dumbest in the courtroom. Is it me or is it the prosecutor? Is it the judge? Is it the the witnesses against me? Gosh, it's going to be just like the election cycle. It's like okay, who's the worst in here? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like okay, who do I really love and I want to see as our leader? It's like okay, who can I not just just cannot stomach as being our leader? Okay, whoever the other one is, that's who it is. You know, this, that, that court can be like that, too, where it's like, okay, nobody knows what they're talking you about. Don't, so. You know, it's like that old joke about, the, about the, the, the bear breaking into somebody's campsite, and the one guy's slipping on his, uh, his running shoes, and the other guy's saying, what are you doing that for? You can't outrun the bear. And he says, I don't have to unru- outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Yeah, yeah, Meaning the bear is going to get the other guy who's slower. Right? Yeah. You don't need to know everything, but you do need to know at least as much, if not more, than your adversaries. And to encourage the people out there, because it is intimidating, and most people think, uh-oh, I got a ticket, I got some legal thing, I need to call an attorney. I need to yep. get an attorney. That's the first thing everybody thinks. Well, you know, times are tough, and sometimes you might want to get an attorney. You just can't. You can't afford one. Okay, and there you are. Well, 
look, these attorneys go to school and they supposedly learn about the law. Well, you don't need to know about the law. You just need to know the law that applies to the charges against you. And that's relatively easy. I mean, you go, you, okay, well, they'll give you the number. I mean, you're not, you know, you can go online and go to find any of these statutes. And, and you can find out, okay, this is what it is. Okay, now let me get definitions. Okay, let me do this. You don't need to know all aspects of the law. You just need to know what applies to you. And yeah. that, that's pretty simple, really. I mean, no matter how big of a deal it is, it's pretty simple because it's one thing. Yeah. I mean, okay, you can have multiple charges, but usually it's from one incident, and it's one thing. It's one thing, it's you, and that's relatively easy to figure out. Now, yeah, you got to go, well, you know, I might have clients that come in here for contracts and criminal and traffic, and, gee, i got to know a lot of things. Well, you don't have to know a lot of things. You just got to know what applies to your case and know it real well. Become an expert on what applies to your case. Yeah. And I guarantee you're going to know more than your opposing attorney. Typically. Typically, Typically. unless you're, yeah. you know, it could be a big deal where there's a real Oh, you run into you. people that are smarter than you are. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't assume that you're so smart that there's well, nobody. Well, and I'm not saying you even you know, have, you, but Well, that's my point is you don't have to be smart. See, that DA has a stack yeah. of charges there. And yep. they got to know about all that stuff. Well, this one's a you know a domestic violence. You know this one's a little about all This one's that. I, yeah, I know. I got to know a little about all of this stuff. Well, what do they mostly have to know? How to not piss the judge off, and how to seduce the jury. Well, yeah, it, yeah. That's all right. That's they need for the a good bedside manner. That's for the rare attorney that even goes to trial. Yeah, I know. Because most of them are just Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. They never yep. go to. They never yep. even see a jury. Yep. But the thing, my point is, they get up there and they know a little about a lot of law. Because they got a stack sitting there. They got to know a little bit about a lot of law. You got one thing. You only need to know about you and your mm. what, how the law applies to you, and you can know more than a little bit in a relatively short period of time on just one thing. So and now here comes this if other. you don't learn enough to win, you can get on this trail and it may take you some time before you become modestly proficient. What's that saying? Once you get on this trail and you begin to understand that you could be modestly proficient, all right, you become may take a while. You may have to go through a couple of traffic cases, but a couple, there's a point in time where all of a sudden you become competent to deal with these people and even confident where you know where you realize, wait a second, these guys don't really know what's going on here either. And when you see that, all of a sudden the door opens up and, and it's like one of those you know, uh, I don't know comedies where all of a sudden the sky opens up and you hear the you hear the the music and uh, this is God. His light is beaming down on you. Um, yeah, it's a moment you, of revelation. And then it's you get to be one of those people where the cop runs your tag and it comes up bad business. Yeah, you know, bad, yeah. bad for business right here. Yeah. Move yeah. on, unless he's murdering somebody. 
Keep driving. You know, this guy's he's gonna We don't want him money. in our casino. He's That's a right. card counter. Get That's him right. out of here. That's right. Yeah. You know, and and that's part of the deal on this. Um, if you are the kind of person who's willing to go to court, once they understand that you're not going to settle, you're going to go to court. They don't want you because they can run a hundred or several thousand settlements through the court system without even having to study the law. They just stand up there and they try to intimidate people. They say, well, we could get you for first-degree murder and have you drawn and quartered and burned at the stake, or <laughs> we can give you manslaughter and you can be out in 90 days. What do you want? People take the 90-day manslaughter rather than the uh, taking a chance of being burned at the stake. And you, if you agree to it, you write them a check and they're happy. All right? Do the 90 days and pay your fine rest that they're happy. If they know that you're going to tangle that court up for a week or months, and it could be longer, if they see that coming, they say, this SOB is going to drag us. He's going to make us actually learn the law. (laughs) And the lawyers are sitting back, oh, my God, I thought I was done learning the law. I don't want to learn any more law. Yeah, you're going to have to learn law. You're dealing with this guy, Frank Stephan. No, I don't. We can just dismiss this. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, and and also running it as a business. And if you are an expensive client or potential customer, they don't want you. They want to make money off the deal. Least amount of work, most amount of money. When they get, and on top of which, let's suppose they drag you into court, Frank, for let's say a month. There's a good chance that they, in that month, there there's a good chance that the government it'll cost the government a quarter million dollars. Certainly a hundred thousand, maybe a quarter million, if they if you calculate all the expenses that are built into that. <laughs> and when they get done spending a quarter of a million dollars, and they succeed in finding you guilty, how much money can they expect to collect from you? A couple hundred bucks. Yeah, I know. This is a situation they can't win if you're willing to go. Now, doesn't mean that they can that you are guaranteed to win. No. If you're willing to fight, they may still they can triumph. I mean, there's no guarantee. Oh, we're all capable, can lose, and we're all capable of making mistakes. Can they win? You know, we can make mistakes and lose, and they we can, can be even be and right lose. and lose. Sure, and and as little encouragement to people, there's a saying out there that says you've got to lose before you know how to win, yeah. and I believe that's probably true. At least in my experience in life, that has been true. Try not to make a habit out of it. No, no. You, the, the whole point is you lose to learn how to win. Yeah. Okay, yeah. not to just keep losing, but mm-hmm. you know to learn how to win. But I do believe you've got to you've got to get a bloody nose before you learn how to fight. I agree. I, I really do. I just believe that because it's it, that's what I've seen throughout my life. Is that look, you you know you can learn from your victories. But generally speaking, I've always learn learned a lot from your more. losses. Oh man, I've always learned a lot more from losing. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like losing, but hey, you know, you you do learn because yes. it's it's like, look, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> what, what did I? Where did this go wrong? You know, and and no, you learn. Exactly right. But if everything goes right for you, oh, I got this. You know, I don't have to learn anything. Yeah. You know, uh, now there's a uh, a part of this question I found interesting here. Where the the uh, Stan, I guess, uh, suggested, 
What if I, you know, what if I say, okay, I'm the fiduciary, but I got a contract with this guy in prison who's got a life sentence. He's agreed contractually to be the the surety. I I find that a very it's a bit convoluted, but it's a pretty interesting. No, I think concept. it's I think it's a perfectly <laughs> valid question, and it's one of the things that would actually, if that question was properly advanced, it would be a question that would tend to prove or disprove whether our notions about the all uppercase name are valid or invalid. Yeah, I'm thinking. What, I mean, if you said, "Well, I've hired John Smith, who's doing life. He's down there doing life, and I've hired him to." to be the surety for Alfred N. Haddisk. Not the fiduciary, you understand, just the surety. I can, I'll be here, and the, maybe the attorney will be here to represent it, the fiction, but for surety, we're using this guy who's in the slammer for life. Now, if you could put that together properly, what's the judge, judge going to do about it? I mean, he could say that's a crazy idea, and he might be right. But if they give it any credence whatsoever, if it makes them roll their eyes and they don't automatically say, you must be crazy, all uppercase name, that's not a legal fiction. That's not something that's you. If they don't declare that, then it's evidence that this, this underlying theory we have here about the difference between what the all uppercase name means and what the proper name is. It's evidence that the theory well, is valid. And you know what? I, I think that, the, the <laughs> look, the people can say, oh, this is all crazy talk and all this name stuff is just, oh. yeah, okay. But the thing is, there's something going on. And that's not deniable. I mean, you, you can say, well, I don't think that's going on. Okay, but something is going on. Yep. Why else would they do this? Why else would they do? Why else would they have different definitions for United States? Why would they? Why would they have all uppercase names? Because what they their their computers don't do? You know that's not true. You can look at your license and see what stuff. I mean, you know, after publishing uh, the anti shyster for twelve years, I learned a little about topography. Right, publishing a little magazine. And in the course of that, you learn about fonts and what's clear and unclear and font size and a bunch of other things like that. And one of the things you learn is that when you mix capital letters with lowercase letters, uppercase letters with lowercase letters, the text is more legible. Yep. All right? When you have all uppercase letters, every word has a rectangular shape. And it might be three letters to form the rectangle. It might be ten letters to form the rectangle. But all of the letters are the same height and essentially the same width. And it makes them hard to recognize. We recognize words not just by spelling them out and sounding them out. We recognize them by their shapes. And it means that if you have a mixture of uppercase and lowercase letters, it's easier to read, faster to read, and less conducive to errors. Yep. So when the government comes out and they've got a sheet of paper that's all uppercase letters, they are inviting, they are risking more errors, data entry errors, right? They're doing that. And they could eliminate and improve their efficiency by just saying, okay, get rid of all these damn all uppercase computers, and we're going to use... We're going to use a mix of capital letters and lowercase letters. Why don't they do that? And they don't. They they may have. Well, probably have in some instances. But again, uh, you know, back in 2002, when I was hauled up to Missouri, 
the the warrant of extradition was all uppercase. Well, and look, the government has, and I'm sure you you've seen it, the the government style manual. Yeah. It specifically, you know, the government's got rules for everything, and they got rules for the way they write things, and they have all this laid out. Capital letters mean this. You know, uh, you know, proper case letters mean that. This is the proper way to do this. This is the proper way to do that. This is the def- you know, this is the uh, uh, abbreviation for this. This is the abbreviation for that. They've got it all laid out, and yet they send you these things in all uppercase. So if you get these things and they're, you know, you go, well, what's this from the government? Oh, all uppercase. Gee, must be important. So you go to the yeah. Stock- that's what they. That's what you look at it and think, oh gosh, they're kind of shouting at me. This yeah. must be really, really important. But then you go to the style manual and you find out, you know, from the government that, well, okay, this thing's from the government. Oh, it's all uppercase. Well, okay, so this is all a fiction or a dead person or a corporation. Or an estate or who knows yeah, what it's it is. Not but me. there are it's multiple not a possible explanations other than a man made in God's image. Well, it can be almost anything except yep. a living man. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the, okay, it doesn't really matter what it is, it's not me. Because, well, not because I say so, uh, you say so. Here's your government-style manual. That's exactly right. You know, here's the rules Why of English. Why would they have the government-style manuals out there that would refute their use of all uppercase letters? Well, because... The presumption again. Hey, we no. pr- we printed no. this. It's out there. You no. should know. So if you accept no. this the way well, we send it to you, then we have to deem that you understand what's going on. Well, I agree. Basically, I agree with what you're saying. But to me, the reason they do it is because that's their escape hatch. They said, well, we gave you notices yeah. right there in the style manual. You didn't think that all uppercase name was you, did you? <laughs> Yeah, huh? exactly. We gave you notice, and you can count all. How many people are there in the state of Oregon, wherever you are right now, Frank, who's read the government style manual? I think I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah, that might be. That might be. You might be the only one who's actually read the style manual. But their argument is this, I think. I think this is the way they justify it. Well, we didn't take advantage of you. We didn't force you to represent that all uppercase name. If you'd read the government style manual or the relevant case law or whatever, you could have sat back and said, oh, wait, I'm not the fiduciary for that entity. Oh, I'm not the surety for that entity. We, we, we have, yeah, you know, we're, we're here to help you. We're just doing this because we're in a state of emergency, and during that state of emergency, we have to bend the rules a little bit. But nobody is obligated, nobody's required to ignore the law. But if you did, well, fine. Well, sure. And not only do we have the Styles Manual, states like Texas, hey, we, we know you must have been educated in this. You should have been. You know, well, you um, had to be because it's the rules, and, you know, the schools would never disregard the rules. So, you Well, know. it's probably, it, I'm, I, I can't remember what they called it, but, the, uh, again, the list of what, and they, te- they expressly must teach proper nouns and proper names back first, second, third grade in that vicinity. It's been a long time since I've looked at it, but I think it might even start as early as first grade. Nice. <laughs> and if you are... A high school graduate, maybe even an eighth grade graduate, if you've ever, you're old enough to, they can presume that you graduated from at least third or fourth grade. You got it. You got proper nouns. 
Huh? So we can make certain presumptions. This is not a proper name. It's all uppercase, not a proper name. You're represent, you're not, it's not your name. That's their presumption. You are acting on its behalf. You are representing it. You are its, therefore its fiduciary, and you voluntarily assume that role because you, you haven't complained about it. You said, no, I don't. How do you get around? How do you get around this voluntary fiduciary business, Frank? What do you mean, get around? Like, well, what do you say to them? I mean, one of the things that's crossing my mind, and I know how hard these stupid questions of mine are because I have an idea what, <laughs> but where I'm going to is the Thirteenth Amendment. Oh, okay. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. 13th Amendment to the Constitution, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. Being a fiduciary and or a surety is a form of servitude. Mm-hmm. So the whole question is, did you volunteer to serve as fiduciary? If you didn't volunteer, so I never volunteered to be fiduciary for so-and-so. All right, then you've got an argument here. But is the argument complete? Not quite. Because it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. It actually says except for a crime for which a person has been uh, duly convicted or words to that effect. But the essence, the essence of the sentence, neither slavery nor slavery is gone. But voluntary servitude is alive and well. If you want to be a servant, you can. You want to be a fiduciary? Fine, sign up. But if you say, I did not voluntarily assume the role of fiduciary on behalf of the plaintiff in this matter, now they've got a problem if they were trying to get you as a fiduciary. Um, and the other point it makes, though, it says, in, it says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place pu- subject to their, plural, their jurisdiction, the word there refers back to the United States. Involuntary servitude may be quite acceptable in the states of the United States. This state, the territorial state, the administrative uh, district, it's only prohibited within the states of the Union. All right, it says, it tells us they're talking about the several United States. There is no slavery or involuntary servitude within the several United States. So it's not enough to say, well, I, I'm not a fiduciary. I deny that I'm a fiduciary. Well, your denial will, may not work unless you specify that I'm making that denial within the exterior boundaries of a state of the union, like the state of Texas or the state of Oregon or whatever. You got to control both. Did you voluntarily become a fiduciary? And if so, uh, and if you expressly deny that, where are you? You're in the State of the Union. Good. Then your your denial should stand. If you're in one of the territorial states, administrative states, states of the United States rather than states of the United States of America, your denial might be irrelevant. Thirteenth Amendment doesn't protect you if you're outside the State of the Union. I agree. Well, I mean, I'm not telling you, you know, it's like anything else. I'm not telling anyone that's God's truth, but I'm telling you that's the way it works for me. That's my logic when I look at it. But if you can control that and say, yeah, I'm within the borders of the state of Texas, and I did not volunteer to be fiduciary there, they have to come out and tell you on the record, well, you're not in the state of Texas anymore. 
You are in an administrative district, a territory, a state of the United States, whatever. You force them once you make that denial. Somebody's got to take the witness stand and say, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you say you're not. You say you're, you're within the state of Texas. Oh, no, you're not. Right? They're going to tell that to the jury? Somebody's going to stand up and tell a jury of Texans that you're not within the borders of the state of Texas? And this is after you've explained the proper name of the state and where to find it, which is the act of March 30th, year of our Lord, 1870, which readmitted uh, um, what we call Texas back into representation in Congress as a state of the union. It says it's as a state of the union with the prop with the name quote, the state of Texas, unquote. They specify it, all right, in quotes. They tell you this is the name of the state of the union. So I got an argument, right? Do they have another law 20 years later, 100 years later, that says it's not the state of Texas anymore? The proper name is uh, Billy Bob's Bar and Grill. (laughs) No, it might be. They may have that kind of they may have that kind of law up there. And if they do, I could wind up going to jail. But they're going to teach me something. They're going to teach me, oh, my gosh, all the time, you know, we've been operating in Billy Bob's Bar and Grill. Well, they only have to make that admission one time, and it's going to spread fairly rapidly through the Internet and so on. And Billy Bob's Bar and Grill isn't going to work anymore. That's true. That's true. And that that really is a lot of this. It's Look, some of these arguments could be absolutely right. Some of them may be partially right. Some of them may just sound good. But the thing is, it is it meaningful to be bad for business for these people. Yeah. Because they really do run it now as a revenue-raising operation. That's what it is. That's what it yep. does. I mean, look at the money they pull in. I mean, good golly, if you fell into something and going, holy smokes, you know, we started this because we didn't want people, you know, running all, you know, running over each other on the roads and stuff, and, uh, jeez, man, we are making money hand over fist like that. This, this is really great. Why do you think cities and stuff set up speed traps and things like that? You think that's for public safety? It's yeah. to raise money. That's what it's all about, and they're giving it, they're, they're, they have a pretext that they kind of, oh, well, you know, we're out here making sure everything's safe. But people are starting to get wise because they're so blatant about, oh, yeah, well, actually, nah, we're just out here raising money. And everybody's kind of, kind of catching on to that. You know, I mean, they I think they took the, the, the step too far with the uh, camera, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, red light cameras, right? People, I think that little adventure there that they figured, oh, well, we're going to just uh, put a camera here, and we're just going to take pictures and send out tickets. Uh, I think that has kind of backfired on them and done more damage to their their scam than it, it raised money, because people started realizing this isn't about safety. This is about yeah. raising money. Yeah. And then they put two and this two is together. A toll booth. Yeah, this, isn't they, a, this isn't a safety zone. This is a toll booth. Yeah, and then they and start, not everybody you know, has to pay the toll, but anybody who gets that's what this is really about. Yeah, and then they do simple math and figure out, oh, what about all these other laws? Well, gee, they appear to just be all about money too. See, people are catching yeah, on. Yeah, once you start the connecting the dots, it becomes very interesting. 
So if it is a business, which I believe it is, and they operate it as such, if you're bad for business, I mean, it's just like any business. Oh, man, here comes that guy. You know, if you run a bar, and here comes the guy that every single time he comes in there, man, he gets fallen down drunk and busts the place up and starts fights, and you decide, nah, that's it. all over the toilet. Yeah, that's it. We're not having him in here anymore every exactly. time. And, and you, know, you, see him, you see him coming, and it's like, nope, at. Ah. Go to the other place. You're not coming in here. Well, the same thing happens at, you know, court. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're bad for business. Yeah. You know, and that's not justice, and that's not supposed to be the American way, but sadly it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, you got to deal with that. And the main thing sometimes is it's more important to win than be right. And winning means you get to walk away. You don't really get a prize. Uh, actually, winning, uh, you know, again, I... I think winning is when you counterclaim and you manage to pull it off, and I don't know anyone who has. I don't doubt some people have done that. But winning to me is I have walked away in a couple of instances, and I regarded it as a win. Yeah, me too, but, but I don't think, not really. You know, in my, my old age, I don't think that it's a win unless you take some of their money with you. Yeah, make them pay, uh, man. That, that, then you win. You Absolutely. Then you win. You make them pay. Look, you, you yeah. know what? You, you want well, to you get a real victory. I'm going to make you pay. And then you won. And even though it's it's a, a lot of times a hollow victory because, well, none of the perpetrators are actually suffering. They just take it out of the general fund and, you know, write you a check. And raise taxes. Raise taxes. Raise property taxes. Yeah. Well. You know, so, uh, you know, so I think counterclaiming and the policy thing and, uh, you know, going after people individually, uh, uh, you know, personally, if they if you can show that they violated policy of whoever they're working for, I I think that done on a, uh, even in a, you know, even if you're the only one doing it, you will be known as stay away from that one, you know, you either stay away from that one or go kill that one, one, one or the other, depending on how much trouble you cause, but, you know, uh, it's falling apart, from what I see, the whole system is unraveling. Yeah. Uh, right before our eyes, and it's, I think uh, you're you right. Know, you know, it's just you know, people are like, well, you know, okay, what you think you were, what you think was going to happen when you started? Oh, we're going to have the information age now. Yeah. Oh, okay, so everybody gets to know everything. We get to know everything about the public, but the same computer that's spying us on us is spying on them. Yeah. And so. while there are a, a thousand people in the government who might be interested in spying on me. There are millions of people <laughs> who are interested in spying on the government. Yeah. <laughs> and they are far more interesting in their own way than I am. Well, how do you think Hillary Clinton's feeling about the information age oh, about I now? Understand. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean if again if she had her choice, we either get rid of the guns or we get rid of the internet connections, what would she choose? Yeah. Yeah. Devin has far more to fear from the Internet than they do from the fire. They really do, because nobody shot at Hillary Clinton, as far as I know. But, boy, she's taken a beating in the email thing. Yeah, I understand that. You know, and uh, I'm amazed that, you know, the tolerance of, can you imagine 20 years ago? If and, and I realize 20 years ago email wasn't a thing, but could you imagine if 20 years ago somehow somebody broke in a, Hillary Clinton or somebody else's house and stole their records and they were like her emails are. Could you imagine the outrage of the public 20 years ago to find out some of the things? And I'm just not, yeah. I'm not seeing that now. It's like, oh, I'm that's not, another yeah. thing. You know why? 
Part of the reason is if we got one letter from Hillary that was handwritten and said she intends to kill somebody, there'd be outrage. WikiLeaks has given us another thousand email or more every week or so. I don't have time to read a thousand email. I, I know what's going on there. I know that this is evidence that Hillary's up to something. I mean, if her eyes are open, she's figuring out, she's making some kind of a calculation on how can I screw somebody out of their money, you know? I mean, that's the way she is. I get that. But the evidence is so enormous that it becomes a burden to look at it all. I'd almost rather we had two or three good letters, a dozen. We got tens of thousands of email. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe we're overwhelmed, and I know the government has to be. Well, sure, and we are, and that that's the part of the that that's the downside of the information age is that, yeah, okay, you know, you can know anything you want to know, but yeah. everything is there. So what do you want to know? Well, I want to know everything. Well, <laughs> okay. Good luck with that. You know, now you just sit and spin around in the yard. You know, you, you you're not getting anything done. You're not really, you know, anything. It's you can't just, know everything. No, but you it's all can't. available. It's available. You can find it out in specific instances. If somebody says, "I want to know what's going on with Frank Stefan," okay, that can be done. That's not a problem. I want to know what's going on with everybody who is critical of government in this country. Uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, you can collect the information. All right, we can say, well, we can identify these people are dissidents. We're going to collect all of their email. Great. Who's going to read them? Even with computer filters and the rest of them, who will read them all well, and comprehend them all? What I really think they're doing, because that you make a good point that that is not possible, yeah. but they now have these supercomputers with these you know, artificial intelligence, as primitive as it might be, that... I believe what they're doing is they're collecting all this information, and it's just simple data. And they're correlating it. No no man or woman is sitting there doing this. It's just the computers running the programs, correlating all this. And I believe they are developing profiles. And I think, you know, I think the movie Majority uh, Minority Report was more factual than science fiction. Because I mean, we see it in the ad. I, you know, you go to your, you go to Yahoo, and it's like, gee, isn't it curious that all these ads are for stuff that I've looked I at? I looked at myself <laughs> just in the last couple of days or weeks. Yeah, isn't that curious? Wow, what a coincidence! Well, it's not a coincidence, and that's rudimentary. That's simplicity right there to do that. I mean, look at the information people put on FedBook about themselves. I mean, people are on there every day going, okay, this is what I had for dinner. This is what I, this is the wine I drank with dinner. Uh, This is, look at the salad dressing I got. And then, you know, and they go on and on with every bit of minutia in their life. Well, every day, yeah, who's going to get that? That's just ridiculous, taking up space. Yeah, well, an AI supercomputer can correlate all that information. And, and they can separate the people who've got any brains from the ones who don't. Yeah. All right. I mean, and that's one of the things perhaps I should be doing. <laughs> you should maybe be doing the same thing. You need a Facebook account, Frank. Oh. <laughs> or you tell us that, well, I decided to wear my moccasins today instead of my work boots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, they, that goes through the computer and they say, idiot, idiot, yeah. idiot. Yeah. All right. Create evidence. No, no, no. We we're not. We don't have enough brains to pose a threat to this government. We're just a <laughs> yeah. run of the. We are consumers. 
All right. Well, it's just send like us a che- send us a check so we can go buy some stuff. Well, it's just like everybody you know used to joke. You know, okay, fine. They want to do this every every email you send out. Make sure you put a. Uh, you know, the words bomb and nuclear device in it. And oh, if yeah. everybody does that, it's like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, everybody in the whole country is talking about bombs and nuclear devices. Well, you know, it, it, you know, yeah, you, you, anything that anybody can come up with, somebody else is coming up with a way to defeat it. You know, it's, it's just the way, of, the, way, the way it is, you know. It's, Who do you uh, think is winning the contest between the people that are trying to maintain government security and corporate security and the hackers that are trying to bust in. I think the hackers are. I think they are, too. I think they are They are more... I think they are advancing more rapidly, even though they're not organized, per se. But still, I think... I think you get one intelligent guy out there who really understands hacking... And I don't care how many bureaucrats you handle, you can't deal with this guy. Nope. And, you know, that, and that, that's the thing. They, they, they always talk, well, you know, we're really worried about that lone wolf terrorist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they need to be more worried about the lone wolf hacker. Yep. Because some kid in his mom's basement, mm-hmm. if he's got the skills, uh, he, could, he could be more damaging than any thousand terrorists. Yeah. You know, I mean, because we've become very dependent on computers. I mean, the power grid, the nuclear reactors, the, everything is dependent on the computer. And it's not getting better. It's getting more dependent. So the yeah. people that have... And how do you get... And can, can the computers be made... Can they be made in a way that they become invulnerable or significantly or virtually invulnerable to the hackers? The only way is to separate it from the network. That's part, yeah, exactly. And the reason the hackers are going to win this thing is because virtually every one of these computers we're talking about, it has to be easily accessible by all of its agents and personnel. Yep. And I know they have levels of security and the rest of it, but I don't care. You put 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 terminals out there that can access this a particular uh, 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 computer, it has to be easily accessed. They can't put up an effective virus protection program if they've got hundreds or thousands of people who have to access that computer. Well, and even, if they, even, even if they have one terminal that only has, okay, you can only access this from this one terminal. If it is connected to the network, you're over. I mean, if it, it, the yeah. only way to keep a computer safe is to not be on the Internet which is what I refer as the network, which that's what it is, but it, you, you, just, you just don't hook it up to the Internet. That's how you secure your information, and that is the only way, because if you put it on the Internet, you know, the old adage, you know, there's not a lock that can't be picked. Yep. Well, there's not a, you, you can't, there is no such thing as an Internet security that can't be hacked. Yeah. You give somebody enough time, and they've got the skills, they're going to get in. Mm-hmm. And you can sit there and play games with them and go, okay, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to counter every move that he makes. Well, all that's going to do is just make it drag on longer. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. <laughs> You've you got to be smarter than the guy who's trying to hack in. 
Yeah, and and he will learn from whatever you're doing to counter his moves. He's not just going to be stymied. He's going to learn something. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times, the more the more fight you put up, the more dedicated they are to getting in. It's a game. It's a challenge. It's like, yeah, hey, you know, my, a lot of these hackers aren't, like, nefarious spies for some foreign government. Not to say they're not out there, but most of them aren't. They're just, they're computer geeks. This yeah. is what they do. They're yeah, curious. Like, if you, you don't have a girlfriend, you can have a computer. Right. And, and right. probably give you a lot less trouble. But the Not thing, necessarily, but... I don't know. It's just a toss-up sometimes. Eh? <laughs> the thing is, you know, it's a challenge. Okay, so you're sitting there and you're going... Yeah, it's just I'm an curious. adventure. It's an adventure. Not even... You know, I mean, challenge is the right word, but it's an adventure for a lot of kids. It's just, hey, I think I can hack into the CIA. Yeah. Cool. You know, everybody else, he's talking to three or four of his friends. Oh, cool. Show us how you did that. And here's how I hacked into the CIA. Uh, yeah, and you wouldn't believe what I found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got pictures of Hillary and the goat. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I could see myself. You know, I would be, I, I, I would enjoy being a hacker. I just don't have the skills. You know, I'd probably enjoy being a center for the L.A. Lakers, too, but... You know, I don't have that either. So, you know, I just don't get. You see, I'm being discriminated. See, this is one of the, this is one of the great advantages of a poor educational system. Yeah. <laughs> These hackers don't have to spend any time after they get home from school studying their homework because it's too simple. Yeah, and it gives them an opportunity to really learn and see what's going on. They have time to actually hack into computers. Adults, I don't know if we, <laughs> I don't know if we have the ability. Enough brains, to, but we don't have the time. Well, yeah, and the kids don't need to do their homework. They can just hack into the uh, the school and change their grades. Yeah, that's right. Why bother going to school? All you need to do is hack in. You know, well, yeah, God, I'm to graduate Tomorrow. summa cum laude. Yeah. Without, and they're going to say, who the heck is that guy graduated summa cum laude? I didn't see him in any of our classes. Well, he didn't actually attend. He just hacked into the school computer. Well, now you're talking about Barack Obama's time at Columbia University. Yeah, maybe so. You know, where I think the CIA probably hacked in and did his records while he was in Pakistan doing whatever it is uh, he was doing over there. Uh, that's just, you know, my theory. But, hey, we're, we're, we don't have a lot of time, but there's another question here about... Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we... Well, we can take it if you want, but we don't have enough time, and we've spent two hours dealing with the first question, which surprised me. But we actually dug into this. And again, just for people, who, you know, and, and Stan in particular, who sent this, he said, in your opinion, could I, as a fiduciary for a legal fiction, the all case name, could I contract with someone else to be a surety for the all case name? And the answer to that question is, yeah, I think you probably could. I, we don't know that for an absolute fact, but it's the sort of thing where if you did this and you dotted your I's and crossed your T's so they couldn't defeat your argument, your claim on a procedural ground, then maybe we'd find out if we are barking up the wrong tree. Is this all just nonsense or are we on the right track? But assuming the theory is correct that the all uppercase name identifies some sort of an entity, an estate, legal fiction, something other than the man made in God's image, then I think. I think as fiduciary for that entity, I, 
you know, you can't hire an attorney to represent it. Why couldn't you hire somebody uh, to represent You hire the attorney to act as fiduciary for the, for the uh, all uppercase name. I think, not for you. He's, uh, he's acting as fiduciary for it, and you're just being kept as sacrificial goat who said, I understand, you're the one that will pay the price if they're found guilty. But if you can hire an attorney to be a fiduciary, I think you can also contract with someone else to be a surety for that end. Well, now, you know, because as, I don't know if it's true, but it seems logic. Well, as you know, we, we refer to the, you know, First Amendment, you know, with the uh, religious protections. Uh, the Constitution also says no state shall make any law interfering with the obligations of a contract. So yeah. if you did contract with somebody to be surety, uh, how exactly are they going to defeat that? Well, other than just say, oh, this is all crap. You know, this. No, not just not not just that. It says no state shall shall. It says that the states cannot interfere with the obligation to contract. I think it says the states. I'm assuming it says the states. Do you know if it absolutely says the word states? I think it says Congress shall make no law. Congress shall make no law. I I believe that's what it says. Yeah. Well, the point is, anytime you see states in the Constitution, you're talking about states of the Union. Right. Today, that's not necessarily true. No, but... Within the states of the Union, arguably, you can't interfere with the obligation to contracts, but you might be able to, within the... Within the states of uh, of the territorial states, administrative states, whatever. I don't think so. If if Congress is the one administering, you know, uh, the law within the territories, then it says what it says: the Congress shall make no law. It doesn't say make no law for the states because they don't make law in the states anyway. You're right. I agree with you. You know, so this could be a thing for this particular situation. Oh, well, right. it'd have to be, we'd have to look at it. Very, we'd have to look at it very closely. But the other question that I was is about voting. The second question there is about voting from somebody else here. I find this a very interesting uh, question because it, you know, election cycle. Well, let's save it for next week. Okay, the election won't let's be. Save it for next week. It. We've only got five minutes left on this program right now, or thereabouts. Well, we and better we, not have World War Three between now and next week, then. Well, if we do, could I could I get a refund on, on any of? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be in the mail. I'll tell you one thing: we could do, um, just to close out the last couple of minutes of the program. Here's something from uh, M. Bockert. All right, that's part of the email address. Don't know who this was. It says hello, Adusk Alfred. You talked about in this state. Within this state, only as a theory. And he says, I hope this puts this to rest. I'm down on page six. I see it. Under listener feedback number one on page six, if you want to get down there, Frank. I'm there. But he says, he's, he's talking about in this, the term, quote, in this state, and the term, quote, within this state, unquote. He says, only as a theory. He says, I hope this puts that to rest. Meaning, he's trying to give me some evidence that this theory that I've talked about on this program, that this state signifies something other than the State of the Union, at least in modern language. I mean, this is, it's not, this is so hard to explain and make sound credible because the language changes over time. When you see the term, this state, from the 1800s, it's innocent. Early 1900s, innocence. Since 1933, it becomes increasingly suspicious and you need to be wary of it. 
and since 48, and especially since 68. Since 68, whenever you see the reference to this state in a government document, you're probably talking about what we would, what I'd refer to as a state of the United States as opposed to a state of the Union, territorial state, administrative state. So he says, here's some evidence from Oregon. Revive, no, Washington, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gives a couple of chapters in rest, Title 82, uh, Section 82.04.200, and Section 82.04.192, Revised Code of Washington. And he says, he's quoting this, 82.04.200. He said, in this state, within this state, that's apparently the heading, and it says, in this state, in quotes, or, again, open quote, within this state, close quote, includes all federal areas lying within the exterior boundaries of the state. Well, this is telling you that this state, when they talk about, they're saying you're in a federal jurisdiction. Yep. They're saying that there is some place within the exterior boundaries of the state of the union. That's what I. That's the way I read this, and it's one sentence that refers to both this state and the state. And they're saying this state is the federal area lying within the boundaries of the state. Yep. Well, it's evidence that the kind of thing we talk about on this program is not as goofy as some people might automatically assume. This state is not the state. Well, actually, this, this is the clearest, con most concise sentence to explain it that I've seen. Me too. It's very clear. I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> they say it twice. In this state or within this state includes all of the federal areas. Not federal states, federal areas. And in my opinion, you could say federal territories instead of areas lying within the exterior boundaries of the state. I mean, again, this is revised code of Washington, the state of Washington, and it's 82.04.200. You folks can look this up yourself and well, see. I'll if be we're... looking that up in Oregon. Oh, I bet you would. Oh yeah, because I want I want to see that because the thing is, oh, there's one more thing. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm not in a federal area. I'm not within this state. Oh, no, what do you mean? What I do you deny mean? that right I'm here. in this state. <laughs> They've got a law that says if you could do such and such, you're speeding in this state. Really? Here's my definition of this state. I'm not in a federal area. I deny it. Yeah. Now, you prove, prosecutor, that I'm not within the borders of the state of Washington or the state of Texas, the state of, or of Oregon. Prove that I'm not within the borders of the state of the Union and that I am in some federal area. And you got to wonder, man, from the Constitution... Uh, what gives them the right? I mean, what gives them the authority to even have federal areas within the state? Probably under the doctrine of emergency. Oh, okay. It's probably well, they started again. there, and that's where this thing began to go sideways. Under the doctrine, oh, there's an emergency, and in an emergency, the laws are suspended, and the only obligation is survival. You do whatever you can to survive. All right. I think that's I think that's ultimately the cornerstone for the system we're fighting against. And then they set up these federal territories and and states of the United States rather than states of the United well, States of apparently, America. Well, apparently, maybe you know what? The key. Maybe we should stop calling them territories or districts or anything and start referring to them as they do federal areas. Oh, well, maybe so. 
I mean, that's what they call them, federal areas. Well, maybe that's correct. I mean, I'm not, I, I use that term territory um, because it was part of the way we kind of understood this sure. when we first got into it. But over time, maybe my, my language is not the best. Maybe it's well, not and the I best use, choice. I use district a lot. But right. it might be federal area, you know. Yeah. I mean, hey, yeah. that's what they call it. You know, got to speak their language if you want to talk to them. Frank, we are out of time. We are. Thank yep. you for having me on, Al. Always a pleasure, Frank. I hope you folks, as crazy as some of this stuff sounds, I hope you at least consider what we had to say. Hope you'll tune in again next Tuesday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, and Frank, our co-host and producer of the program. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Worried about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high-fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Headline, New York Times, standing on the 
evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's October 18, 2016. It's about eight minutes, no, about eight, nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is, where you're at, we're live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. That'll get you on the air. You can voice your opinion, make a comment, whatever you'd like. Well, not whatever you'd like, but pretty close. Anyway, 800-932-1980 is that number. You can also participate by just going to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. We have a chat room there. That's where you can participate. You can also send me an email. Uh, You know, I'll I'll see it at the break, but... uh, If you do it after the break, then I won't see it for this show. But anyway, so those are the ways you can participate. Or, hey, you can just go to the chat room and uh, socialize. You know, it's there for you. Uh, So, anyway. All right, a lot of news, a lot of things, a lot of stuff. Uh, Let's get to it, huh? All right, what's this? Oh, I don't want to do that. You know, this is, here we go. Hillary Clinton, infinite lies and Islamic State. Oh, gosh. Clinton knew who received American weapons. Well, more information about Hillary Clinton. You know, I mean, honestly, folks, how much more? I, I really have to ask, how much more? Do Is it really going on that, you know, I see these phony polls where, oh, Hillary Clinton's up by two points. Then another one says, well, you know, Donald Trump's up by four points. And, uh, oh, you know, close race, in other words, right? How can that be? I mean, honestly, folks, how can that be? Let's ask this question. So, Donald Trump has a campaign rally. He gets 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people. Hillary Clinton has a campaign rally. She has 1,000 people. Half of them she had to pay to show up. Okay. Uh, But that, you know, hey, that can be deceptive. But then we have the fact that Donald Trump has completely devastated Hillary Clinton in fundraising of $100 and less donations. You know what that means, don't you? That's grassroots. See, grassroots donations usually aren't $100 million. Huh? Okay, so that's two. Well, what else? Oh, yeah, Donald Trump also, by 2 million votes, crushed the closest competitor in Republican history for votes gotten in a primary. In other words, more people voted for Donald Trump than have ever voted for another Republican candidate in the primaries. This includes Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's about the most popular Republican that we can remember, right? Yeah, Donald Trump got two million more votes than him. Okay, so that's three things. Now, what the heck? How can it be a close race? Then we have the fact that, oh, okay, so Donald Trump can talk gutter talk about women, you know, women's body parts, sex talk. Oh, my. 
How disgusting. A man talking about a woman in a sexual way. <gasps> and then we have Hillary conspiring to sell weapons to enemies. We have her taking, you know, giving favors to people. Clearly, pay to play. And that's all okay. Then we have the rapist, Bill Clinton, who actually raped women. He didn't just talk about touching parts of them. He raped them. And that's a pass. How can this be a close race, folks? I don't think it is. I think the media is lying. I know. It's a shock, isn't it? But these are the same people who will doctor 911 tapes. Remember what they did to uh, that Mexican guy who shot that uh, poor little baby, Trayvon Martin? Huh? Remember that? They... They monkeyed the 911 recording to make it sound like he was a racist, when actually he was just answering a question. How can this be a close race? I don't think it is. I think they're making it sound like a close race in order to throw the Electoral College and call it all good. It's our system. It's the way it is. Uh Uh-huh. I wonder if Hillary Clinton will once again say, oh, we should do away with the Electoral College. You know, she did say that. You remember that, don't you? When Al Gore lost to George Bush. You remember that, don't you? Don't you remember Hillary saying that? I'm sure she doesn't remember saying that because she doesn't recall anything. Ever. Anyway, here's another question, okay? And and somebody in the in the chat room is saying, "How many Clinton yard signs have you seen?" Somebody answers in the uh, chat room, "I haven't seen any crooked Hillary yard signs. I haven't either. I see Trump signs. I see a lot of local signs. I see Trump Pence signs. You know, quite a lot of them." I wouldn't say, you know, I've seen more in the past for presidential elections. But I see Trump-Pence signs. I don't see Hillary signs. What I did see, I did see some Bernie Sanders bumper stickers on cars around here. I have seen those. But Hillary? No, I haven't seen any. Gotta wonder, how can it be a close race? I don't think it is. Anyway, here's another question. Why does Russia still deliver its technology to the West? Oh, yeah, you know, the rust bucket, washed up, old, used to be, you know, superpower. Yeah. Ah, Washed up, eh? Well, Russian company NPO, Energomash, will deliver 14... RD-181 rocket engines to the U.S.-based privately run company Orbital APK in 2007-2018. The Russian engines will be installed on U.S. Antares rockets, the first launch of the U.S.-made carrier rocket equipped with two RD-181 engines on the first stage is said to take place October 16th. Uh, I've got some advice for Russia. You know, I would tell the United States government right now in no uncertain terms, hey, guess what there, Pally? Uh, 
you can knock it off with your sanctions against us. Oh, and another thing, get your ass out of the Ukraine. Or, hey, guess what? No more rocket engines and no more rides to the space station on our, on our Russian uh, spacecraft. How about that? For starters. Huh? Why would Russia do this? I mean, what the hell is going on here? Is this whole Russia bashing just just some sort of fake, phony fraud thing they're doing just to, oh, let's get everybody whipped up for, you know, the World War III that ain't going to happen. Pravda interviewed several experts in an attempt to find out whether Russia should deliver its technology to the West at the time when the West continued tightening sanctions against Russia, including in the field of its technological development. Does Russia need to ship its rocket engines to the West while the West restricts Russia's access to state-of-the-art technologies and equipment? You know what? I got news for you. Do you want to know why Russia's not concerned with the U.S.'s little, oh, you don't get to have our state-of-the-art technologies? You know why? Because Russia develops their own technologies. Yeah, the washed-up old rust bucket used to be superpower that they are not. Hey, let's not forget, Russia has their fifth-generation air superiority platform in the air, running missions as we speak. Well, I don't know if as we speak, but now they have them. Well, where's our fifth generation? Oh, that would be the F-35 that can't fly. And it's not the F-22, which was, you know why they stopped building it? It wasn't because they couldn't make it work. At least they got that piece of junk working. But the reason why? Because by the time they started actually producing them, well, they were obsolete. Because that's how long it takes us to build anything here. Why? Well, because we've got to get all the parts from all kinds of foreign countries because we don't have electronics here. We can't even make a completely United States-built radio. Forget TVs, forget computers, (laughs) a radio. We can't even build a radio with all USA parts. You understand that? You realize how destructive that is to a, a, a nation? You can't even build a radio? Wow. It looks like we've got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Well, Frank, this is Dean from New York calling in, and it has to do with Hillary Clinton's FBI email. Now, we had mentioned, maybe I mentioned before, but if you read closely in the, it says, we are going to have, give more access to the FBI in areas that they're forbidden. Are you familiar with that quote? No. Okay. If the, if we are going to, okay, the email's classification in exchange for a quid pro quo. The name is blanked out. It says, advise that in exchange for marking the email unclassified, the state would reciprocate by allowing the FBI to place more agents in countries where they are presently forbidden. Wow. Now, okay, so this is why this email was put out, because what 
Mr. Comey did was he negotiated the F the, the emails being unclassified in exchange for putting agents in countries that were forbidden to be stationed there. I got it. Wow. Now, now if you remember Lydia uh, uh, Raiden, the young woman who was beaten up by Intercon at the federal courthouse in the Southern District of New York, Intercon is the security force that supplies the entire state contracts for the State Department. So if you were going to bring an FBI into the country illegally, you would bring them in on a State Department visa, and you would have them masquerade as an intercon security agent because that way they would have access into all the high-profiled uh, places with the ambassadors and the state attaches, the CIA. And so today it has come out that Lydia Raiden, who was charged with a federal assault of an officer, it has now been reduced because, in fact, it was not a federal officer that assaulted her. She now has the videos, which we will give you. It shows that he assaulted her, that he was a private contractor for Intercon, and that, in fact, the federal courthouse is leased from the city of New York from the archdiocese, the Vatican. Well, they don't own the courthouse. They lease it. Okay. And this is happening to all the federal courthouses across the country. The feds don't own the courthouses. They have private contractors in there. They have subcontracted out the entire federal judiciary. Well, that ain't right. And I just thought you should know that we're paying for it. Ah, well, at least there's that. Okay. So, again... Tomorrow, you can bet that Trump, the first thing he will say to Hillary is, what part of forbidden don't you understand? Mm -hmm. Because now you realize I might have brought up to you that the FBI was thrown out of Iceland when they set up the guy to steal the emails from WikiLeaks, Thorson. Okay. I might have mentioned it to you. They were not supposed to be in Iceland, and then they went all over Europe with this guy, meeting him illegally. Now, the FBI, I don't think, has jurisdiction outside of the United States. I don't think they have jurisdiction. Listen, I don't think they have jurisdiction anywhere except federal territories. You know, this is, this is very serious, what she has just done, because the Congress has just approved state-sponsored terrorism, that we can now sue governments that have state-sponsored terrorism. We now have admitted and have admissions by the State Department, by Hillary Clinton, that we have illegally sent our FBI and NYPD, because Pope Bull, if you remember, 
It was the NYPD officers employed under Intercom which tortured all the people in all these Guantanamo camps and everything. The ones that took the dogs to them and the electric prods, those were NYPD officers on intercon security contracts. Well, it sure seems like like the whole game is unraveling for them. And you know why? It's because it was Papa Bush, number 41, who put it all in play. When he became the head of the U.N., which is why I say it was so dangerous when the guy from Portugal got voted in as the head of the U.N. You see where it was headed? Mm-hmm. Okay. They were gonna, for everybody out there, they were going to bankrupt the United States in 2012 and have all these offshore corporations in the European Union take over our infrastructures that generate tolls. And right now, I am so angry that I got caught up in this, and I have lost, like, my entire summer trying to help this girl stay out of federal prison. We have, we've got everything reduced. We've got, they even met with her last week to cut a deal where they said, oh, well, we'll just do a, a, an NCDC or whatever those things is, no prison time, you know, if you let this go away. And it's just like, What? You attacked her in front of me, and we found out that the judge's law clerk was involved in the assault because Al Gore had bought the station a year before. I work at a television station, folks. Al Gore had bought the station channel in 2013, and they didn't tell us. And they, he sold it to Al Jazeera in 2014, and that's how we found out. And that's why we were in the courthouse, because we were suing, because all of us got banned because we stood up against it. So now you understand. So, so what is intercon? So, so basically, you go in and challenge Al Gore or Hillary Clinton buying something illegally from the public because it was a publicly owned channel that they had no right to sell. And then all of a sudden you get gang hit by these intercon private security agents that are employed in every federal courthouse, in every state embassy, and in every federal security place around the country. And they don't play. These are ex-cons that are recruited, and they don't want you to know that. Well, I'm coming up on break, but I did want to ask you before you go that, oh, so what is the, uh, what is the did, did Lydia take the deal, or is she saying, no, you know what, you assaulted no, me, you're not a federal what? agent, you're, you know, this isn't federal property, uh, you know, I, I mean, what, what's her status? She asked, she said, okay, now the onus is on you to prove that you even have federal property jurisdiction. Because if not, you have to charge me under state laws. And in fact, now the video shows that I wasn't even the person who started it. And the person who attacked her had no authority as a private contractor to even put a hand on her. Well, that's why I'm asking. So, what, so what's her what 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 is she doing? I mean, she's she, gonna fight it. 
Okay, okay. She's already. Oh, and by the way, folks, you're supposed to be allowed assisted counsel when you sat at the table, when you're being tried as a criminal. So she asked a few of her friends to sit with her. Now, it's, it's, this is what was won in the civil rights case, because blacks were prohibited from having the people and their families sit with them at the tables, and they were isolated. So the, the NAACP did one thing good. They got the law that says that if you want your best friend to sit next to you and advise you, you have that right. Well, the, the, Not a lawyer. You can have a friend. Well, and the Supreme Court has ruled that, you know, the Sixth Amendment says you have the right of counsel, which means any counsel you want. That means your friend, you're anybody. You can get an attorney. You can get anybody you want. They're your counsel. I got news for you. Not in the Southern District of New York. They threw all of Lydia's friends out. Well, Intercon. Uh, threaten them with arrest. Well, they do. You know, they do what they want. A lot of places, but that doesn't mean that it, you know you don't prevail in the end. Just remember, every Supreme Court case that we love was brought there by people who lost at every level. So that's an encouragement, Dean. Thanks for calling in with the update, and that is uh, very interesting stuff. But I got to go to break right now, and we'll see you again on. I hey, hope we'll it's not. What? Talk to you later. All right. We'll see you on Monday. That's Dean Lauren, my co-host on Monday nights with some updated information there. Interesting stuff. We're going to go to break right now. We'll be back in a bit.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Okay, are you getting the message? We can't get along with Obama. He's leaving. But if the next administration is going to be like Obama, we're not going to get along with them either. So we're going to see and wait if Donald Trump gets to be president. Maybe we can get along with the United States then. But if it's Hillary, it's going to be war. Do you understand that, folks? You know, Supreme Court justices aside, which is very important, although, eh, you know, not that important, because when the black-robed homosexuals up there in Washington, D.C. get rulings that, I don't want to abide by, I won't. Okay? I don't care what their opinions are. They don't make law, okay? They can have all the opinions they want, and it can apply to the cases they rule on, but it doesn't apply in general, so screw them. World War III is a little more important even than Supreme Court justices. Because we can't just ignore World War III. We can ignore the Supreme Court. Now, you, you all don't think you can because you're all a bunch of cowards out there. And, you know, when I say that all, gosh, I hate to do that because, you know what, half of America's not. But then there's a half that is, and we are that well split. I'm sorry, folks, but that's the way it is. We have lost an awful lot in the last decade in this country. But we'll see. He goes on. Uh, the former deputy chairman of the Duma Security Committee, Oleg Dinosenko, says, quote, the matter is not about the sanctions. There is a long-term program for cooperation with the United States in launching cargo spaceships, and Russia delivers its engines to the USA with the scope of this program. A bad peace is always better than a good war. Economic sanctions will someday be lifted or eased, but life goes on. Any isolation is harmful. Therefore, if Russia quits cooperation in the field of technological development, it will cause even more harm. Well, more harm politically, more harm to the United States, but not necessarily more harm to Russia. And I think Mr. Uh, what's his name here? Ugla, uh, Disinsenko or whatever, is a bit of a globalist. Globalists are everywhere, folks, not just here. All right, so let's look here. Russia dominates the skies in Syria. U.S. is unprepared for conflict with Moscow, an expert says. Well, who's the expert? Well, Fox News strategic analyst, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, believes Russia maintains air superiority in Syria, while U.S. President Barack Obama takes no steps that could lead to a military confrontation with Moscow in the Middle Eastern country. Now listen to this. Some truth, some lies. This is Fox News, folks. You have to, you know, 
That's the thing about Fox News. They do tell you some truths. But you've got to be very careful about it. Here's their expert. President Obama has let this go on so long, he said, according to the expert. The U.S. leader has been so apathetic, so lethargic, that it has gone to the point where Russia dominates the skies. Okay. He goes on to express confidence that Obama has no intention of making any attempts to ground Syria's Air Force militarily, as this will lead to a military confrontation with Russia. And then he says, quote, you know, President Obama doesn't have the guts for that. Well, well, well. Let's just look at Fox's News little lieutenant colonel expert here. Obama doesn't have the guts? Obama doesn't have the guts for what? He doesn't have the guts to send your children off to the meat grinder to die? I think he does. Because, you know, Obama's not going to be flying any sorties over Syria. He's not going to be setting foot in Syria because he's a coward. Okay? So it's not about guts. That's like, oh, well, well, it takes guts to start World War III. No, it takes an idiot to start World War III. And apparently, Lieutenant Colonel Idiot wants World War III. Somebody with guts. Yeah. And he also says that Russia dominates the skies. But he doesn't say why that Russia dominates the skies. Russia dominates the skies because I'll bring it up again. They have their fifth-generation air superiority fighter jets in the air in Syria. We got an F-35 that can barely get off the ground. We got F-22s and not very many of them that were obsolete when we built them. That's why they stopped building them and went to the F-35, which by the time they get one of them flying will be obsolete again. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you, you want to fight with Russia? You want to have guts and fight with Russia? Uh, oh man, good luck. Anyway, let's, uh, eh. Podesta emails show Hillary is no champion of pro progressive causes. So, you know, all you communists that voted for uh, Bernie Sanders, you think Hillary Clinton <laughs> is your communist hope? She's not a communist, really. She is a globalist, okay? And communism, okay, I hate to call it communism, and the only reason I call it that is because it's recognizable. But it is not. If you go to the, if you go learn and say, okay, what is communism? And you go to the book definition of what is communism? Oh, the collective, blah, 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 blah. Basically the Borg, okay? Oh, okay, well, you might be able to look at that and say, well, that's not so bad. You know, everybody works, everybody benefits equally. Uh, it seems like nice. Okay, well, yeah, it would seem like nice if that's the way communism actually worked in the real world, but it's not. Does Hillary Clinton live the same way you do? Hey, how's that $600,000 mansion, your third one, Bernie, communist? How's that going for you? I don't have three mansions, do you? How many of you out there got three mansions at a half a million a pop, huh? How many of you? Oh, nobody? Gee, I wonder why. Oh, I know why, because you're not communist. That's why. Yeah, how's that equal, huh? How's that fair? How's that all benefiting equally, hmm? 
Yeah, they're all just full of crap, okay? It's like these climate, you know, oh, we have to cut down on our carbon footprint. That's why I flew 10,000 miles in a private jet all by myself to this meeting of climate warriors. Yeah. Wow, gee. Uh, you just delivered a carbon footprint bigger than I could make in my whole life. Or a hundred of my friends, too. Oh, boy, you're such a champion of the environment. Sure. Crap again. All right, let's see. Clinton campaign praised George W. Bush on immigration. A member of the Hillary Clinton campaign praised former President George W. Bush on immigration, according to leaked emails from campaign chairman John Podesta's account. As the campaign tried to figure out whether to let former President Bill Clinton speak on immigration, his staff of his chief of staff, Tina Flournoy, took a minute to praise Bush. Huh. I wonder I wonder if Tina's getting any bill. Forty three is so good on it, Flournoy wrote. In a March 2015 email, really good. At least he has been when at least he has been when I've seen him talk about it with 42. Wow, unbelievable. You know, people have thrown around the whole Bush Clinton crime fam for a long time. And a lot of people thought, you know, it's just conspiracy theory. Come on. They're, you know, come on. They're Democrats. They're Republicans. Come on. They don't like each other. Come on. Yeah, well, come on. It turns out that we were right all along. There is really a Clinton-Bush crime family. All right. Let's see here. Hey. Here's something about one of the premier poster children of gun control, okay? And that would be Chicago. Yeah, they have some of the most restrictive gun laws, not only in the United States, but in the world. As a matter of fact, they made them so restrictive that the Supreme Court had to rule against them and say, sorry, you can't just do that. You can't just ban guns. The Second Amendment just doesn't go away because you say so. But guess what? A thousand more people are shot in Chicago compared with the same time last year. That's right. A thousand more people have been shot in Chicago this year compared with the same time last year. After a weekend that saw eight people killed and at least 40 wounded, according to police and data compiled by the Chicago Tribune. At least 3,475 people have been shot in the city as of shortly after midnight Monday, compared with 2,441 people shot this time last year, an increase of 1,034, according to Tribune data. They have been at least 595 homicides this year, compared with 409 this time last year, an increase of 186. Yeah, baby, this gun restrictions really working out there. The gun violence over the weekend was at levels usually seen in the summer when shootings picked typically spike because, gee, everybody knows, you know, gets a little warm, you know, nice, balmy night, 
you know, who doesn't want to just go out and murder some people? I mean, you know, it's nice and warm and everything else. So you go, hey, you know what we could do? We could go murder some people. Wow, yeah, that's the Chicago way. And, folks, how does this one cesspool skew the numbers for the rest of the country when they like to go, oh, my gosh, gun violence is up in America. Oh, my goodness, this is, look at that, look at this, look at that. Well, what about the fact that it's just Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles? You take just those four cities. Oh, let's make it five. Let's take Miami and take that out of there, too. You take those five cities out of the mix, what do you got? Well, you got a pretty much law-abiding country. How about this? This, 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 this? this week, Fox News released a poll indicating the majority of Americans view Hillary Clinton as a positive role model.
said her years of government experience make her a role model. Huh. Really? Unbelievably stupid. Honestly, folks, this country is toast. It doesn't matter who gets elected. When we have Generation Snowflake out there that's like, uh, oh yeah, Hillary Clinton's a great role model because she's been in government a long time. We're over. And speaking of over, I'm out of time. I got to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.